it's like if there's any if there's any appliance I don't want to turn into a social network or advertising platform. It's communications, like a phone. Like, I don't want to know if somebody's having Thai food. This is not part of the show because talking about Skype is like, it's like the, it's like a yeah. college newspaper columnist writing about writing a college newspaper <laughs> column. You, you, dude, you have to include this in the show because here's the problem. It's like, and this is this, everybody goes around with this. Skype works fine until it doesn't. It's mostly fine. It's annoying. It's weird that it has ads in it. Uh, it's strange that I've got, there's so much cruft and so I want like five buttons to click to connect with the people that I talk to and I don't want anyone else <laughs> to contact exactly me. That's exactly what I want. I want like somebody to build me a front end for Skype. <laughs> right. Right. Well, it's a web app. You can probably just put it together uh, yourself. You're just doing markdown. <laughs> I, I just laugh because it's, it, the podcast is, it's like I'm half writer at Daring Fireball, half podcaster on the talk show and on half of my business, <laughs> the software just randomly changes under foot. <laughs> well, I, I have to just, I don't know, you can leave this in or out, but like, uh, so um, Skype, Skype the protocol is something, basically the, as soon as RSS to serve audio began, became a thing, the question became, well, how do we record these with people who aren't in the room with us? And in the earliest, I remember this being an issue when I was on freaking Mac Break Weekly. It's like, ah, everybody hates Skype. But as of 2000, whatever, five, nobody had found anything better than Skype. And the truth is, people are out there actively trying. Yes, I know there are websites. Yes, I know there's all these other things. But if, if you ever have to talk to somebody who's not a dear friend, there's a pretty good chance you're going to have to use Skype for your job. And this is my whatever, right. quote unquote job. The, the thing is, though, like it is you, you've nailed it. It's like, yeah, I guess you could use FaceTime, you could use stuff, but like, this could just go away, and I don't know what I would Like, the do. other half of my business, I'm I'm so utterly professional and conservative in and bespoke, my tools. Like, you, you're right. so into making, you've got, you got a movable type from 1977. <laughs> You've got all you got your little fonts in there. You know what's you funny? Like, you know, you did, like to roll did you your catch own? the in joke in uh, episode five of uh, season two of Stranger Things? They're using movable type. Oh, no, you're I'm kidding! Sorry. I am kidding. <laughs> I'm not that far in. Well, it but took I had, place I had in 1984, so it would be tough. <laughs> well, you know, I like that program, but I got issues yeah. with with the songs that they pick for things. It's it's yeah. you know. It, Okay, so I had this thing happen a couple weeks ago. I've talked about this on all my shows. I'm very sorry if you've heard them. I'm just sorry in general if you've heard my <laughs> shows. But um, but I but I had a thing happen where like one day I'm recording with Roderick, everything's fine. The next day, I try to Skype with Dan and and check this one out. Okay, so I can I can text with anybody in Skype, multiple people in groups. Everything is fine. I call them. It doesn't ring on their end. They call me. It doesn't ring on my end. I'm trying, I am pissing on every spark plug I can find. I'm, I'm in the console like an animal. I'm trying to figure out what is wrong. It just didn't work for two weeks. And I just brought my laptop in, my MacBook Adorable, which is not super fun, but it works. Tried it again. Monday, worked fine. Yay. Uh, that, that doesn't give me a feeling of hope that like a mystery me problem appeared and then disappeared and I don't know why. That, that is the bane That's of That's not existence. how computers work. I it shouldn't I be. I don't we know. Just, I forget. We just had a problem. Could be a corrupted font. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's always a corrupted font. <laughs> Seriously, though, does it give you the fear a little bit? Like, you're, you're a podcast big shot now. Like, you, you got to do this for stuff. Sometimes you get, uh, you know, one to two episodes a month out if you're having a good month. You, you push out the program. 
<laughs> doesn't it kind of give you the fear a little it bit? does you know I, i've looked yeah. I, you know it's funny it's like i do i i <laughs> I don't know if, if this comes as a surprise to you, but I'm not really I'm not really mm. one to uh, keep good records <laughs> throughout mm-hmm. the year. Um, mm-hmm. And I think traditionally uh, in the modern in, in, incarnation of this show, uh, I've averaged somewhere around 40 episodes a year. So ostensibly it's weekly. It's never really been close. Yeah. It's been around 40. It's nominally. nominally I'm at weekly. 30. This is episode. I think this is the 31st of 2017. I it felt like things were see I don't know you're you're such a black box I don't know if you're at Disney I don't know what you're doing all I I noticed I noticed that sometimes you as everybody knows you get a little careless with your references and I and I'll see some brackets that that uh, that make it into the post and that's when everybody knows you're probably on a lounge chair having a beverage <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't do that on your Mac <laughs> no I might I might I might but it's it's more likely to happen when I'm doing it from the phone if it doesn't harm your opsec uh if you are uh you've probably talked about this before but like as of today like you're somewhere remote you go to a disney property with your family and you want to you want to post something about gene munster uh what do you what do you draft that in how do you post that uh i usually just do it right in the uh movable type uh web app which i've sort of customized over the years on, on yeah. an iphone wow and if it's longer wow. it, it, okay. and it used to be a problem in the earlier years of the iphone where uh Back in the days when when RAM was tighter, and remember you, you'd leave Safari and you'd come back to Safari, and it would just, and it, well, it would just have to reload. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> when it reloads, when you've got a mostly edited post in a text area field, it makes you a little angry. Mm. <laughs> I I rarely type. More that than doesn't happen. As anymore, you know, I'm huge... the, the the iPhone well, I mean, is just no, sort of true. That's... just sort of reached yes. the point where it never happens. But if if it's a little bit longer than that, then I'll copy and paste everything and do it and. Vesper or the Notes app or something. The most I type anything that I care about in the native app, I realize that I'm a lunatic. But like, if I'm texting somebody, like like with you and, and iMessages, like that's fine, that's okay, like that's going to be fine. But like almost everything I do, if it's something I just need to capture really quickly, it starts in drafts, and then I have a little script in drafts that will take the first line and add a date stamp to it and put it in my. Um, my text files folder and then I'll open it up usually in editorial and that's where I do a lot of my jazz with markdown and stuff like that but and it's you know it's one reason the, the twitter character count thing isn't driving me completely crazy because I still write write I still draft most things in a legitimate app that's got an actual character count in it even your even but your tweets like, yeah oh yeah oh yeah absolutely 100% you can't get, you can't get returns in the twitter app or use twitter effort right yeah okay yeah, um, yeah, no, I write it in drafts usually. And then drafts is synced, so it syncs with all the devices. But anyways, it's no. kind of boring. But do you ever imagine Markdown would be this sturdy? No. Well, it's a funny, it's, it, it's, a, it, it's funny because I, was, I, I really thought that I had something when it first came out. I really thought, I was like, you know what, this is it. And, and bless his heart, Aaron Swartz was uh, super excited too. And, and mm-hmm. uh and the history of that collaboration is sort of muddied because what I, uh, I think I've talked about this before. Do you want to go back? You want to go back to two thousand three? I, I absolutely would. I, I mainly knew Aaron's contribution as the Python script that would go backwards was how I mainly remember him being involved. But he was there from nearly day right. one. Right? He had, uh, you know what I'm talking about? Like he had the .dot yep. pi that you made Markdown to HTML, and, and I feel like he had that, something that would do. Yeah, it would the take opposite. Markdown and turn it 
or no, take HTML and Markdownify it. So you could copy and paste like view yeah. source on a web page and it would ignore, just skip all the garbage tags and then just take tags like italics and the, the link. Yeah. The, 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 the AAH refs and turn them into real links. Um, uh, how far back? So there was Dean Allen's textile, right? Which was a markdown mm-hmm. sort of thing, but not that close. Um, it was a little bit. Was, so what, what, was that preceded by set text? Yeah, that was the, They were all there. Uh, you know, there were a whole bunch of these little formats, but none of them uh, mm-hmm. really did the right thing. None of them were really meant just specifically for turning it into HTML. Except textile was, but I didn't like it because that still has, seemed to have a lot of uh, gibberish up front. Did you ever write TROF, the thing that you use to write man pages? It's no, I mean only only when I was playing like with trying to learn an O'Reilly yeah, book. I it, never used it for anything. The, useful. the way that the, that those things work is everything is preceded by some kind of code. So there's like something at the beginning of every paragraph or line to tell you what this line is, um, and, and it, it's terser than writing raw HTML because that's the one thing is when you're just writing raw HTML, it's just a lot of. It's just a lot of uh, the tags are just. It's just character. It's just character yeah. salad. There's so much stuff. Like the most basic one is for writing legit HTML in the modern age. You need an opening and closing paragraph tag, right. which I, I understand right. semantically why you need that. But that's really crufty when exactly. you're just trying to make right. New opening lines. and closing is exactly it. Where you just you don't need it. So textile got rid of a lot of that. And if you were just writing in a plain text editor and you didn't have any kind of help or a WYSIWYG type thing, it would save you tons of characters and your stuff was more readable. Um, and a guy named uh, Brad Choate, I'm not sure, I, I've known him for years, and I, I don't know if he's Choate mm-hmm. or Choat, but I think he's Choate, worked at Six Apart and, and helped make a much better textile plugin for movable type, and he had some ideas for like improving it, and he and Dean Allen, you know, Dean took those ideas. And then I typed in, because I knew Dean, and I knew Brad, and I wrote to them with my ideas. <laughs> <laughs> and Dean and Dean everybody's got notes. Dean, Dean wrote back and said these ideas are fantastic, but it's sort of like a different thing. You should just go make the thing. And I thought, you know what? You're probably right. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and there were a whole bunch of other formats. I can't even remember them all. There's one called restructured text. Uh, I, I think which well then there was which, also which is the abbreviated uh, R lowercase e s t capital S T. Oh, I yeah. do remember. And also, the, the well, it wasn't PHP BB, but there was also a pretty, at the time, a fairly common uh, Markdown-esque markup language for using forum software yeah. that was pretty B- widely adopted. It was very, very yeah, simple. Yeah, it was and terrible. <laughs> it was really bad. Right. And Aaron had one called ATX that never got any pickup at all. I don't know that anybody ever, other than Aaron, really used it. But he had a web page describing it, and there were some good ideas in there, and I stole from I stole from everybody to make Markdown. Um, and uh, basically it, you know, and the idea was cause I like the first year and a half of daring fireball, I was writing everything in raw HTML. And then I started writing like not so much in raw HTML, but then I had like scripts and BB edit that would put the P tags in, you know what I mean? So I didn't have to have mm-hmm. the P tags while I was editing an article. And then only at the very end I'd put them in. But then when I went to make like a typo error, you know, fix a typo at some point you have to go and you, you know, once you convert to HTML, it's stuck in HTML. And I thought that stuck. So I I emailed a bunch of people. When you, and I mean, for folks who aren't familiar with this, the the sucky part is that I run into this with Squarespace, which is a great service and I love it. But like, if I've, if I've done something to HTML, I forget and I'll go in and I'll, I'll select something and put two asterisks around it, forgetting that that's not (laughs) going to get processed. 
because once it's inside of an HTML, I'm using your words, but once it's inside an HTML container, container it won't be right. processed as Markdown. So I emailed a bunch of people who I thought might be interested. When once I had like a, a basic, <laughs> basic it does half the things Markdown actually does version working, and and my basic description of where I saw it going, and I emailed a bunch of people, and everybody was I don't know how many people, maybe ten people, and everybody was very nice, you know, like that looks cool. But I could tell that it was like, that looks cool, but I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. I don't, I don't get it. Except Aaron. Aaron got it immediately. And he was like, oh, my God, mm-hmm. this is brilliant. Um, and so he was like just my – he was my only active beta tester, really. And so like for like three, four months, I just kept adding to it. And at that point, I had it installed on my Daring Fireball uh, movable type installation. And – and no, you know, it was nobody knew it wasn't released as a public beta or announced or anything. But I'd keep adding things to it or changing things. Um, and and when I'd make, there were certain changes I would make that were like not backwards compatible. And so like, <laughs> I, I did. I actually did the research the other day. I like looked up like the first Markdown post in movable type, the first one that you know was set to be Markdown, not raw HTML. And I think it was like. October of 2003 and I don't think I announced the public beta till March and and it hasn't changed much since that March public beta announcement but pretty much every single daring fireball entry I wrote from October till March when I every week I'd have to go back and change every every one of them <laughs> to like up you know f- to make oh I see you know what I, I mean see. like I would yeah. make it I would make I a do. change yeah. to markdown in January and I'd have to go back to October and make sure that I, you know, whatever syntax I used wasn't in any of those posts in October, November, December, or early January. Um, but it really made Markdown way better. Like, like, I don't think if, I think if I had released the version that I had when I first started using it, it would have, it would have, nobody ever would have heard of it. Uh, well, I, well, anyway, what happened was we this. released it and yeah. Aaron was super, super excited about it. And Aaron, I guess, is, you know, he was friends with everybody. He knew everybody. So he knew Corey Doctorow personally. So he wrote to Boing Corey at Boing Boing. And Aaron didn't take credit as a co-collab, as a, a, you know, like a co-author of Markdown. But the way he wrote his email to Corey Doctorow, I think, left Corey with the impression that it was like a joint by Aaron Schwartz and John Gruber thing. And that made its way into Wikipedia for years and years and years, where it said that it was Markdown was created by John Gruber and Aaron Swartz, blah blah blah. Which, and then you know the, all the the unfortunate. He was more of a conciliary. Yeah, he, he was like the uh, muse, would call, I would yeah. call it. And I don't, you know, and and okay. to, you know, and, and to my, I and mean, we were friends for you know afterwards. I mean, it, it, to, to my knowledge, he never once deliberately took credit for it. I think it all came from the initial Boing Boing announcement that said John Gruber and Aaron Swartz have released Markdown. Um, but then it's like once you, Aaron you, killed himself, it's like you know what am I going to uh, do? God. You know, I know. And I've been meaning for years. God, the kid, that kid, did, that kid did so much. I met him when he was like probably yeah, fifteen. I met him when he was like sixteen. It was terrifying, or right? It was terrifying, <laughs> and it was he was he was so scary. He was so intense and so smart. It was really really intimidating. He was like a woodland creature. He he. Was I felt just... like a dog trying to talk about math with with its owner. <laughs> Okay, you know, I got basically two beefs in life with you. Um, one, I don't understand the Yankees thing. Um, the other one is we are now in our 13th and a half year of contention about an issue that I posted to the Markdown discussion list. Oh, really? <laughs> in March of 2004. <laughs> 
<clears throat> so this would be um, March 15th, 2004, responding to the thread here. Um, this is your, so I had said, Markdown treats asterisks and underscores as indicators of emphasis. Text wrap with one asterisk or another wrapped in HTML. And I said, probably late in the game for a syntax suggestion, but I'm having a hard time getting used to. Um, basically, I wanted you to go with asterisk, one asterisk on either side is um, emphasis, and an underscore on either side is italic. And you wrote me a very. You very, wanted emphasis, or you wanted bold. to be bold. Yeah, bold. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, bold face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but and you wrote me this long and very thoughtful email about the history of all of this. You talked about set text. You talked about uh, lowercase r uh, e structed uh, text. It's so funny. I can't believe that it's been 13 years. That's one of the few things that I put into Markdown that I actually don't like. I don't like using underscores for anything. I wish it, I still get confused in different implementations. I know this is not your fault, but I mean, different implementations still treat it differently, especially in like a lot of the web browser-ish versions oh. of it where it, or in oh Slack. Oh my God, don't get me started Slack. on Slack and they're stupid. Because well, when I write up, I write up the show notes for Reconcilable Differences and I send it to uh, to Chairman Syracuse for his anointment and it looks like such a mess in Slack and he, you know, he knows what it's supposed to look like, but it just drives me nuts. Oh, the Slack Moonman markdown syntax makes me so furiously angry. I think Slack does exactly what you want, where Slack uses asterisks for bold and uh, uh, single underscores for italic. Well, right. Now now you got my brain all screwed up with Markdown and the way it works in Markdown, and now all, all other places it seems really screwy yeah. to me. What I was thinking about doing back in the day was using underscores to be the, to be the wrappers around links, because links are... Oh, my are, God. Oh, my God. That's like, this is like Man in the High Castle. I can't even imagine right. that. Oh, my God. What an alternate universe that would be. I love the brackets and the parentheses. Yeah, I think I kind of do too. And, and if anything, it was a good move in hindsight because so many people no longer underline their links. You know what I mean? Like so many web pages don't mm-hmm. have underlines for links anymore. I don't. Oh, I see what you're saying. Right. So in other yeah, words, yeah, at yeah. the beginning of the link, you'd put an underscore. At the end of the link, you'd put another underscore. And then you'd put your parentheses for the URL or the brackets to put a URL reference. Right, right, but right. But then you'd have underlined text to to indicate which which the thing anyway you're very polite you're very polite you said the downside would be that markdown's format would no longer be the same everywhere if there's just one consistent style markdown should work exactly the same everywhere true it's also the case that this would add an entire layer of complexity to the software and you close with sorry to disappoint (laughs) comma dash jg (laughs) sorry to disappoint I, I I am surprised. I, I, it, so anyway, in the early years of Markdown, I was disappointed because it didn't seem to go anywhere. And I thought, my God, this is so great. I'm having so much fun writing my web posts now. It, this it, I, I loved it. I, I didn't want to turn back. Once I started using it, it seemed crazy to type, to type, especially lists. Lists are the ones where, and I'm somebody, I'm a list yep. maker. And the idea of making a list with opening and closing tags in nested tags just seemed mental. I know. I started using Markdown. <laughs> well, and the other thing, too, is I really, really hate... The WYSIWYG list makers. I, I don't even like the one in Apple Notes, which is one of the best ever. But I hate like when you're in a word processor and you type a bullet and a thing and it's like, oh, you're making a list and I'll put you in list mode. But then it's like, it, it, how do you get out of this? I, I, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like you're, you, they put you in a room where you make lists and there's, on, there's no door to get out. <laughs> pa- pa- Patreon is really I, – I like the Patreon service a lot, but their, their um, browser – editor is like his mind-boggling it's all like what you've just selected you get a little pop-up where you click on something to do something 
right? Kind of like you would get in notes, but you get a pop-up and it's like, is this a list? Is this, and if you've got more than one screen full of text, it won't come up. So you have to go through and keep selecting and selecting and selecting to make a long list. It's better than what we have. The secret, the secret to Markdown and the thing that drove people nuts at the beginning, and it seems like it's, it's become popular enough now that nobody bitches about it anymore. But the secret to it and the difference between everything that came before it is that, uh, trusts you the person typing the markdown to be to be to type saying markdown like you could put any there's all sorts of ways that you could write it there's no way that you can like parse it and say this is a valid markdown document or not you can't it's Mm -hmm. it just trusts you to to be sane and don't do something stupid well, it sure works a damn sight better than i mean i like again i also really like google docs but when i paste something into google docs it's it's just bananas, and there's no... They took away... They used to have this ability to go in. I know this is dumb, and nobody but me wants this. They used to have an edit... Uh, I think it was edit as HTML was the selection, and it would pop it up, and you would be able to go in and whatever... I imagine that the underlying platform stuff changed, where it's not exactly HTML anymore, but it's certainly not like any front page type nonsense, but like you now you go in, and you go like, oh, like turn off space after paragraph like do all this stuff like why are there all these bullets that are blank and then space under that and for some reason that just bugs me like i'm not that tightly wound about this stuff but i if i'm gonna do like a you know honestly like a sponsor read i want it to be very neatly formatted i want to understand where the parts of it are and i don't want just this salad of like bullets and letters all over the place it's it's you know what i've been thinking about doing for years and i think i'm at the point where I, I just need to find the time to bear down and do it. But I, I, I want to go back to my old emails from 2003, 2004 uh, with Aaron and put them together somehow and publish them in some way as here's, here's how, you know, here's how Markdown came to be. And I've, Oh, like a, a not, not an oral history, but an email history history of Markdown and the decisions that we made and stuff like that. And, and see what I misremember and stuff like that. And it's just, it, it, part of it is that (laughs) I'm lazy and that that seems like a big enough project that it's always worth putting out. But the other part is just the genuine, it, it, pains me in some way to think about going back and looking at email from somebody who's who's died so tragically yeah but anyway and then i think you know i don't know maybe i could put it in an ebook or something like that and Mm -hmm. uh you know send the proceeds to uh you know one of aaron's you know pet causes or something like that anyway i think it'd be interesting and one of the things i remember specifically was and and it's just like the under uh the ways to make italics and uh there's two ways to do it which in theory i'm against there should be you know in theory there should be one way to do it unambiguous way to do it yeah but the reason that it supports both was it just seemed like there were so many people who like on uh you know who, who used either plain text email or on usenet or something like that who who thought that underscores were the equivalent of italics and just as many people thought that uh, asterisks were the equivalent of italics. Right, right, right. Well, it used to be, at least for me, um, I used to do a lot more of scooting back and forth, like round tripping between Markdown and HTML for mostly because I was probably because I was doing blog stuff more often, you know, wherever that was, whether that was Drupal or WordPress or, or whatever. But um, I don't have much occasion to go HTML to Markdown no in my day-to-day. What I will sometimes do is I'll drag an HTML document into NVAlt, which will then do its best to take whatever the soup of any given HTML document is and turn it into Markdown. And it's usually, it's usually pretty good. But I mean, that's one, it seems like the ambiguity becomes a factor if you're in a, an environment where 
you are taking HTML into turning HTML into Markdown and you want it to consistently always be the same right. thing. Maybe for some kind of reg regex reasons, like you never want it to be this instead of that because it would confuse the machine. Well, the other, the other one that I remember that there's, there would, you know, I remember this one was Aaron's idea was uh, that there's two ways to make headers that you could um, mm -hmm. set text yeah, or the, so the C text style is you write a header. Is that C text? Is that I, how you say I, it? You're, you're probably right. I, I if I think I C text, know. everything everything I think is wrong pronunciation wise. So <laughs> let's go set text. Um, what is it? It's it, you underline it with with. I, I actually forget now. It, I never use that style anymore. I, know. I think one. One set of equals, equals is H one and underline or, or dashes is H two. Okay, yeah, that sounds right. I always do octave. So there's the the big problem with that is that you only get to H two. The other right. problem is it's more typing. Um, and it was well, it's harder to format too. I think Aaron had it in his ATX where it was just the octothorps. It was just the hashtags in, in front, and. Uh, he, he was like, you got to put this in. I'm not typing all these, you know, I, I just want to type two octothorps in my header and hit return, return and go. And I was like, all right, all right. But I also liked the brilliance of it, it, like, I'm sitting here as the author of Markdown and I had a moment where I couldn't remember if equals was H1 or dash was H1, you know, or vice versa. Whereas with the octothorps, there's no doubt one of them is H1, yeah. two is H2, three is H3, up to six is H6. That's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. It's absolutely yeah. brilliant. And then the other thing I remember, I, I seem to remember discussing this with Aaron is I was like, is it weird that the one that seems like it has more emphasis, meaning six octothorps for an eight, six is actually the lesser. And, oh, but then what we thought yeah. was that no, because it's actually more like an outline, right? Where the deeper you go, it's almost like a level of, it's like a level of indentation and it's, it's going to work. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, you know, it's clearly the one that sticks. I, I I think there's a lot of people who use Markdown on a daily basis who don't even know about the equals and dash thing. Oh, I, I would bet. When I start a new document, I live mostly in H2 and H3. H1 is this hallowed thing I kind of rarely use. When you start a new document, is H1 the title of the document? I don't or know. Is it a top I've, I've level? never known what to do about that. I always start with H2. Like if I'm doing show notes in... Um, in a text document, I always start with like, I might have, you know, two uh, octothorpe, pound sign, two pound signs, uh, titles and topics, two pound signs, follow up, two pound signs, sponsor. It's, uh, and then like listener feedback, two. And then for each, and then I'll like do three octothorpes, listener Jason, uh, question about resetting iPhone settings. You yeah. know what I mean? That's, that makes the most sense. And then and there's some that'll actually like make an outline for you now, right? I mean, aren't there some that'll, um, give you like a left rail or some, I, I, I don't, you know, all I use is I use the most basic stuff. It's so bad. I should, I should get sexier with this stuff, but you know, my trick that I have a daring fireball where if you add dot T E X, yes. if you add dot T E X T to any of my articles, permalinks, you can get the raw markdown version. Uh, so in that, the, the, the header part is actually part of a template that that doesn't come out. I don't type that when I type the article, but I use, I, in that, format i use the h1 tag for the or h1 format for the title oh look at that and you're you're using equals yeah how funny because yeah, that's h1 but oh, i don't have to do that right, you know what right, i mean like right. i don't do that manually that yeah. that happens automatically and getting the exact right number of equals that's some kind of complicated regex in my uh movable type template hmm. i'm intrigued by the way you do your what do you call it? Not the anchor, but the way you title your links. You usually do like two characters yep. that are like the author of the yep. article. Okay. 
right. Yeah. That's good. And where do I put them? That's, you know, sometimes I put here, here's one where I put them all at the end. I used to be really meticulous about always putting it at the bottom. Sometimes on a longer article, I like to put it right after the block quote. Oh yeah. Do you usually do that kind? You don't do, you don't do much. No, inline, not you? really. You can, you know, if you oh. browse around on a daily basis, you can see when I do inline and when I don't. The shorter the post, the more likely I am to do inline. Of course. Well, one thing that's nice, and I think this is an NVL feature, but when I'm in NVL, <clears throat> so if you've got a URL in the clipboard, uh, you can select some text and hit what option command V, I think. Let me try this. Isn't it funny how you, you do it without thinking, I, but now that you have to talk no about it, you idea. can't. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. Option command V. So if you select, so if you've got a, a URL in the clipboard, you select something, you hit option command V. It turns the word you selected. It puts the word you selected inside of brackets and then puts the URL in parentheses right, right. after it. It's a real huge time saver. All right. So let, let's just rewind here for a little bit. All right. Sexy stuff. You want to start the show? <laughs> so you're, you got NV alt. Now are you syncing? Are you yeah. syncing that? Yes, it's very funny. I am apparently not the only person in this condition, but I have a Dropbox folder called Elements. <laughs> because there was a time when the text editor called Elements came out, when it, that, I, this might have preceded the days of Slash apps. That was uh, Justin Williams's app. Right. And Elements was a really it good... It was really, uh, really sync- good. This is like a 2008, 2009... This is after, after I, I lost my mind with Simple Note, right. dropping some data one right. time, and I was like, that's it, game over. <laughs> <laughs> crisis of confidence yeah justin made that but it was hardwired to at top level of dropbox slash elements and to this day all of my text files That's my hilarious. 2600 text files are still and now alex cox same right. way hers are still right. on something called elements. i'm gonna say that when an app that syncs data like a notes app loses data it is to me at least it is like you own a store and you've caught the, the kid at the cashier taking money out of the register. It's like, it's mm-hmm. you're out, you're done. Fire right? It is in a rage. Like I've got the kid by the back of the jacket and it's like, get the, you know, and I'm, <laughs> you frog marching out of your general store. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and the horse you rode in on. Yeah. But I sometimes it still happens sometimes. And I don't, I, I lose things sometimes. And, um, well, no, but you know not, what? A lot of the times though, for me, it, it it's like you yeah. suspect the kid is, is taking money out of the register. <laughs> I can't prove right. it, but I'm going to, but like when you can yeah. prove it, it's, it's like, it, it, it turns me into a, a red rage. And I know, you know, and I don't want a bad mouth, simple note because I believe, and, and they were pretty solid. They were pretty solid, like 99%. And I think the they time. are now, they you know, solid. now they're, they're, um, I think they're in good hands with the uh, the WordPress people. What's uh, what's the parent company at WordPress? Automatic, Automatic is is took over. I didn't know that. Yeah. I had no idea. And no, I just I have a Dropbox folder that I sync with. Um, I, Dropbox folder syncs all my stuff in editorial and NVL. That's a so NVL points at that elements folder. Editorial is using that on iOS, and then for drafts, I just use. I think I'm just using iCloud sync for drafts because i don't want them i don't want those little like one-liners to get mixed in with yeah. my actual files yeah what do you and you use what do you what do you use uh i still use vesper but it no and no longer syncs so Aww. vesper i have a combination i've got vesper on the phone and that is for certain you're like one of those people that has their pet stuffed <laughs> that's that's lulu uh, she's a good, good girl. I, I'm, I use Apple notes extensively. And ever since yeah. the, I think it was a year ago, the year ago, I think revision is when they switched from their goofy IMAP syncing to CloudKit, And it, whenever that was, it was either a year ago or two years ago, it, it, their syncing became rock solid. 
and I love the shared thing. Um, like we have a shared note right here. I do it every week with whoever's on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, their shared document thing is is dynamite. It really is. Oh, I love um, it. I love it so much. It's so great for birthdays and Christmas so I, and shopping. I use things. Apple Notes and on my Mac. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then I've got so I've got an, an iPhone only Notes app, Vesper on my iPhone. I've got Apple Notes, which syncs everywhere. But then on my Mac, my Macs, I have Ves or not Vesper, um, Yojimbo, where I keep a lot of stuff. Oh, of course. Now Yojimbo, Yojimbo syncs. Right. And it syncs extraordinarily well, but it's a Mac-only app. It only it only syncs from Mac to Mac. And somehow in my head, I know where everything is. I know exactly which type of things I put in Vesper that I want on my phone everywhere I go. I know exactly what type of things I put in Yojimbo. And I know that everything else is in Apple Notes. And every once in a while, I have to search two of them to find something. But for the most part, right. I just have this inexplicable, intuitive way of, of doing it. So, for example... Do you use Siri, do you use Siri with Apple Notes very much? No. Like, how, in what okay. way? To tell her to make a new note? Well, I mean, the, the thing that limits me and how much I use Apple Notes, um, and candidly, I, I think I way overthink this, but you know me, I'm trying to become the voice guy, and I want to utilize that more. So I tend to name things in Apple Notes, obviously intuitively, but the, the way I would name something in NVAlt is is pretty bananas. Like I have this really silly, like for example, here's the latest episode of Back to Work in NVAlt, and in a text file is B, B2W show dash note X E350 and the date. .md. Like, and that means that is, a, that is the format that I use for every single show notes thing. I could find show notes for anything instantly like that. But good luck trying to use Siri to add something yeah. that's named in, that in such a way. <laughs> so my, my Apple notes are like a four-year-old has named them. It's like TV to watch, words I do not like, <laughs> books. <laughs> and so the idea is I want it to be all stuff that's intuitive that I could say to Siri that I'd be able to add things to a list, even though I'm not using it very much like that. It, and in theory, I get it. I get where Apple's going with Siri, and I get how they have like a billion active users around the world and that these are normal people. But it, it, it's like I miss the I miss the old ways of if if you've got some kind of automation utility there's there's a way to make it so that if if you have a weird header format like that or a first line format like that you could just there's a way that you could go in and make it like you in theory there there should be a way that you could teach Siri that when you tell her to make a note that that she could she could do something like that for you. And I'm you got to get the incantation right. right. I mean, it's a little bit like timers and reminders. Are, are you creating, are you creating a note? Are you adding to a note? Are you adding to a reminders list? Are you creating a mind? There's all kinds of ways you ha- I find myself having to stop a little bit and remember to get the incantation, right? You know, remind me to take out pasta in six minutes. But it, it's sort of like if you uh, like, like the goal here would be to, it would be like having a, a human, uh, uh, assistant with you. Oh, when I say this, you know, I yeah. that. So like if, if mm-hmm. I had an assistant who was always at my side, a real human being and, and a, you know, smart, bright person. And, and I could say, Hey, make a note. Um, I want to talk to Merlin about, uh, markdown history. And, and if this assistant knows that I like to put every note with some kind of like a date string at the f- top, they'll do that automatically. Cause they know I want to do it. You know what I mean? Like, because I've, I've told them that I'm like, Hey, every time I tell you to make a note, put, make the first line like this. And always, always put the data in, but put it last. Right. Like, I don't need to see right. that, but like, I need to know when it was Right, because I want to scan it. When I scan the list of them, I want to see the, the words that I'm using. Yeah. The first word should be something very important. Right. Uh, 
I get what you're saying. So no, don't don't make me have to learn how the right. assistant thinks. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you ever use a keyboard maestro? You know, I, I've played with it. I've got it, and I've played with it um, in another era. If this were ten years ago, I would be spending half my day on that app because it does look very powerful. And you can do stuff like can't you like do screens like like not screens like but you can control remotely using keyboard keyboard maestro like it sounds like it does like pretty much everything the remote stuff uh, there's something like that but I think that he kind of got away from that there's but it's a way to it's a way to patch all kinds of stuff you don't currently like about how stuff works you can make it do a thing for you fairly easily right and I I've right. had it for years and then I kind of like didn't use it for a while or didn't do anything new with it for a while. I had like a couple of things that, you know, there's, would you say it's a little bit like workflow on iOS? Yeah. It's the same basic idea, but way more powerful because it's on the Mac and the Mac just has way more stuff you can do. So for example, um, actually let me do sponsor break and I'll come back. This will be a good thing. Then we, I know where, where we were. Look, I'm going to take care of these sponsor breaks for everybody. You got to pay attention by the end of the show, Mm -hmm. everybody, you're going to have your, your holiday shopping. You're going to be half done. That's a nice service. People need that. That's hard. Holidays are tough on people. My first, the first sponsor of the show is a great company. Love their products. They're a company called Away. Away wow. makes bags and accessories, and they are terrific gifts, and they have a lifetime guarantee and a 100-day trial. So there's a size and a color for everyone on your list this holiday season. Or you can grab an Away gift card if you can't make up your mind or you don't know what color the person you want to buy this thing might want. They use high-quality materials, and they offer a much lower price compared to other brands with similar quality by cutting out the middleman and selling direct to you without the retail markup. They've got over 10 colors and five sizes. They got the carry on. That's actually what I have the bigger carry on, which I'm tempted to buy the medium, the large, and they also have the kids carry on for the smaller travelers among us. All of their suitcases are made with premium German polycarbonate. That's very lightweight and bends never breaks. Now listen to me. If you're a longtime listener of the show, you probably remember me talking about Away before. I forget when they first sponsored the show, but it was well over a year ago. And before the, they sponsored it, they sent me this. Uh, they sent me the suitcase, the carry-on, nice black carry-on. So I've taken that suitcase everywhere I've gone, in for over a year, maybe well over a year. I don't know. The thing looks brand new, and I, you know, what I mean, it's how, how is that even possible? You know, what I mean, you put your yeah. overhead up in the, the thing, and it ends up two rows behind you because they get jostled around and everything like that. The wheels still roll great. I mean, like silent and like it, it like at the Philly airport, we've got some terminals where there's a downward slope. You've got actually got to be careful because the damn thing would, will run away from you. And it goes so <laughs> fast. Um, the interior features a patent pending compression system, helpful for overpackers. It's really great. They've, it's just, the, it's not complex. It's not like, what do I do with all these pieces in here? It's pretty obvious. I put my shirts down on the right side. Then there's a thing that you can put over the shirts after you fold them up a little bit and snap it into place. And it keeps your shirts from getting all messed up by everything else that you pack in there. Um, they have it's got that whole like whole half of it is like a zippered yep. area where you can just put loose stuff and yep. it's, it's the best. Yep. The zip the left panel is a zippered area where you can put all that stuff that 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 might rattle around and it never rattles around. And then they have a uh, removable washable laundry bag that keeps dirty clothes separate from clean. Uh, I love that thing. It sounds so simple. It sounds like well, I could just put any bag in my in my case. The only thing that could, I mean, I, I don't want to say it's your sponsor, but the only thing that would make it better if there was some way to charge my iPhone. <laughs> I wish they would address that. Let me tell you, the carry-ons, in fact, what? have a built-in battery pack. It's like I don't know, a gazillion mega amps. 
And it works. And it works. It's got two. <laughs> it's not a trick. It actually charges your phone like four or five times. Right. At, at least, <laughs> uh, at least five times. And it's got two USB ports. So you can sit there at the, and this is great because you're sitting there at the airport and there is like one electrical terminal at, at like you're at gate 28, you know, eight, you know, a 28, you're waiting for your All flight. The sand people are around it. Like, <laughs> there's one electrical terminal. It's not near any seat. Or if it is near a seat, there's a guy there who smugly has two things plugged into it. And it's like, I've been here for three. I hate that I guy. I hate that guy. Uh, or if it's over by the wall, there's like nomads. You're sitting by a garbage can. <laughs> Refuse processed off site. You're sitting there plugged in by a garbage sitting, can. That's no way to live. What do live. they call it now? It's sitting crisscross, uh, crisscross, crisscross applesauce? Crisscross applesauce style. Grown adults <laughs> sitting on the floor of the airport. <laughs> My phone's loud. No. With Away, you don't have to go fishing around to find your little portable battery pack. You just flip open a thing on the top of your carry-on, plug in uh, your charging cable, and you can sit there and charge any device. It is fantastic, and it's a brilliant idea. And here's the thing. I've mentioned this before, and people say, well, then doesn't that just mean you have to charge your suitcase all the time? And eventually you do, yes. But because the battery pack in the suitcase is like a, a five five times the one charge of an iPhone. You only have to do that like once in a while, like maybe at the end of a trip when you empty your suitcase, just go plug it in and then it'll be ready to go for your next trip. You know, I, I, I only charge it every several trips and it always charges my phone. I just, you just only have to worry about it once in a while and they have a lifetime guarantee. If anything breaks, they will fix or replace it. I'll give you a sad testimonial. I see. I, I love the away, but I'm not allowed to use it anymore because my wife has totally adopted it. It is now her bag. She likes it so much. She said, this will be mine now. And I said, very well, you take that bag. And that's hers now. And so when she has to do her business trip, she has to like head out to Washington for one night. The poor thing. She just jams everything in that bag and takes off and she loves it. It looks it, right. It looks brand new. It's completely crazy. It's, it's, an, it's This is a very, very good product. It really is excellent product. Uh, and you know, maybe you don't want to buy somebody else a suitcase for the holidays. I don't know. I think it's not a terrible gift, but it's the sort of thing I would like. And, and I'm often in the case where there are relatives, my parents or something like that. And they say, Say, what do you want for Christmas, John? And it's like, oh my God, this is a great answer to that question. Somebody comes to you, dear listener, and they say, what do you want for Christmas? And, it, and if you think it's in the budget, you could say, you know what? Get me one of these. I need a new suitcase. And I'll tell you what, and it's exactly like I always say with the, the Casper folks with the mattress, life is too short to sleep on a, on a ratty mattress. Life is too mm -hmm. short. To, I, I spent years before I got this thing with a, like a 15, 20 year old carry on that had a like, oh, you got the one yeah. wheel that's spinning around like a freaking go grocery cart. And the other one had like oh. hair in it. <laughs> you can, it's so hard to get hair out of a wheel. I deal with this with my daughter's backpack. I'm in there with the tweezers and an exacto knife, like some kind of an animal. Don't live like that. Get in a way back. Yeah, it's it's too short. So anyway, you know you 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 owe you owe it to yourself. It's it's you know what it is, John. When you get married, they say to you, "Look, you got to register." And you say, "You know what? I don't want to register. I don't want to ask people for presents. I feel like some kind of a monster." And they say, "No, you don't understand." Auntie Susie, she wants to register. She wants to get you what you want. Why don't you do your family a favor and tell them all you want this this nice away suitcase? There you go. That's I'm. It's a favor. It's a, it's a Christmas mitzvah. Yeah. So where do you go to find out more? Go to awaytravel.com slash talk show. Awaytravel slash com slash talk show. And that promo code talk show during checkout will save you 20 bucks off any suitcase. So remember that. If you're going to tell someone to get it for you as a gift, tell them that too, and they'll save save some money. So my thanks to Away. It's a great product. Go, go get one. All right. I was talking about Keyboard Maestro. Keyboard Maestro, uh -huh. this great longstanding Mac utility uh, now developed by Stairway Software, which is uh, Peter Peter Lewis's company uh, down in uh, Peter Lewis. Is that the Australian guy? Yeah, 
Oh, he did. Um, oh God, what did he do? Did he did the F- did he do Interarchy? Yeah, which is oh still around. God. Which is still around, but he has since sold that no to, to a different company. Did I say that right? But he had like an FTP app back in the day, right? That is correct. Wow. Um, I would say Keyboard Maestro. If, if you've never, I, I really recommend anybody who wants to nerd out on their Mac try it. But it's sort of like a cross between Automator and Apple Script and Quick Keys. Yeah, like the Quick Keys from <laughs> back in the day. But you can make these macros and can do amazing things. But the thing that you can do is you can like make your own features in an application. And here's the one that I think of. And I'm often loathe to make these requests. So, for example, I don't know why, but in Twitter, I've got three main accounts in descending order. I've got my at Gruber, at Daring Fireball, and at the talk show. And for whatever reason, years ago, I decided that I, anytime I reply to like an at Daring Fireball tweet, I'm going to do it from at Gruber. That at me, John Gruber, is at Gruber. And when somebody writes at Daring Fireball, in my mind, somehow they're writing at the, the publication. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. I think everybody could guess that if at Daring Fireball replied to you, who's writing it? <laughs> yeah. But it just doesn't seem right to me because like, if you added The Verge and The Verge wrote back to you, you wouldn't know who's writing. And I don't plan on adding collaborators. But anyway. People, people may ask a question to the publication, but they're receiving a response from the publisher. Anyway, in TweetBot, that meant that for years and years, I, I would go through the at during fireball replies. And I get tons of great stuff there. I love Twitter for feedback on my work so much better than email because God, it so much. forces the brevity. It is, it, I'm way, I don't read all my email. I do read every single at reply to at Gruber at Daring Fireball at the talk show. And I don't, it doesn't feel like a chore to be at the Twitter equivalent of inbox zero every day with those Mm -hmm. things. Um, So anybody out there who's ever attempted to write to me, I'm way more likely to see it if you're, if, if what you're willing to say you're willing to do in public is a Twitter reply and I'm way more likely to write back. But I, I constantly clicking on in Tweetbot, you reply from at during fireball and then you have to click on your avatar and then select the other account. Like you click on the avatar and you get a little pop-up menu. And for years I've been doing it and I've been thinking I would, maybe I should write to Tapbots and ask them for a feature that when I reply from this account, reply from this other account. And the thing that never made me, every time I think to write that request, I think this is asking for a feature that there's one person who's going to use and that's me. Right. And that just feels, you know, I, I wouldn't do that ordinarily, but as John Gruber, the person who writes this influential site that, you know, is nice when you get links from, they might be more tempted to do it. And I, that makes me feel awful. And I think I can't write this email. This is terrible. Oh yeah. And then I realized <laughs> I, like a month ago, I realized, you know what? I could f- freaking do that with keyboard maestro. And so I made like a macro that, uh, um, it, it, I type command R and it, it, it in, and it, the, the macro is only available in Tweetbot, right? So keep keyboard Meister mm-hmm. will let you make like an app specific shortcut. Um, I type command R, which was the Tweetbot shortcut for replying tweet, our uh, keyboard Maestro sees it first and keyboard Maestro. The first thing it does is it itself types the command R keystroke. And I thought when I was making this, I was like, well, this is going to put me in an infinite loop, right? Because it's going to like, Keyboard Maestro is going to eat the command R again, and it's, I'm going to have to like force quit something. But no, it just works. Keyboard Maestro is so smart that it can eat the command R that I typed, then type a virtual command R that Tweetbot sees. It opens the reply window. It fakes a click on the, the avatar, 
and then hit like so it's not using a menu selection it's no. using like a location on the screen yeah well it just that's old school it, that is really old school it clicks at 34 comma 180 from the top left corner of the front window but oh, i didn't have wow. to type that i did that no. i did that by recording in keyboard maestro you just hit record right. click in the middle of the avatar move down oh and it's inside the app window so i get it okay so it's not confused about the it, whole overall screen right. it's just the app it's, I and get it, it defaults to that when you record it defaults to doing it within the window uh and then it types the down arrow keystroke which would move the selection to the uh, which i happen to know i just happen to know that the ad gruber account is at the top like if i wanted to switch to the second one it would have to type like down arrow twice and then types the return keystroke to select the item and then the second thought I had is, well, this is going to be so slow, it's going to like annoy me. But it happens so instantaneously fast that you don't even see it. Yeah, I, Ten years ago, that would have been slow. Right but now, exactly. I think it might have been so quickly. So I type Command R. I, I tap on a tweet in uh, Tweetbot. I type Command R, and it doesn't matter which account I'm in. It's already it. The reply is coming from AdGruber, which is the feature I wanted, and I never had to bother the Tapbot people to do it. And it's every bit as good as if tap as if Tweetbot did it itself like there's no delay there's no wait it doesn't work like 90 percent of the time it works 100 percent of the time that's a good solution that's good use for them yeah. so anyway i don't know how we got started on this. somehow talking about well, i think i mean i don't i don't do nearly as many of those as i used to but sounds I like mean, you've got a, I, sounds like you have a lot of those things in drafts though um like with drafts or really yeah yeah so drafts has all kinds of like little scripts you can add in to do stuff and i mean you can I, first of all, I just want to say I love drafts. Like it's it's just that for me, drafts is it's so fast and it's so easy, and uh, what undistracting. I mean, it's really just there to say what do you need to type, Merlin, and I type it, and then it does something with it. Um, and so for me, on, I mean, there's so much you can do with drafts that I'm not doing. It's just that for me, it, it's. I mean, to, to be totally candid, if editorial had a way to create a blank document, I guess you could use templates in there. I don't know. I just like the cleanliness of drafts. You know, the thing is, like, this is a very kind of 43 folders type of thing where even though, like, I'm not generating a lot of those things. I mean, there's a reason I'm still using TextMate 1 with all of my old commands in there because I know how that stuff works. And that's, I know that's ludicrous. I should be using Sublime Text or something, but I, I just haven't changed it over. It works fine. I've got macros in there that I'm still using for different things. But no, I mean, I think the the, the key part of this is to... You know, if there's any anti-pattern in the productivity world, it's like going out and trying to find 50 answers to a, a problem that isn't a problem. Like trying to find answers to a question that doesn't exist. But the corollary uh, being, well, how do you develop a presence of mind to go like, okay, this is kind of an annoying thing I'd like to fix. I don't want to bug the developer about it. Like how could I, or, you know, there's just a million things where you just develop a little more mindfulness about noticing something that could be fixed and then adopting the tools that'll let you do that in an elegant way. And I, I think that's, that's a really smart way to proceed whatever platform you're using, whatever year it is. I think it's so interesting now that, you know, we're 10 years into the iPhone and it's just sort of part of the air that we breathe on a daily basis, how we have evolved these ways to, uh, just basically have the same shit on whatever device we're using. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And, and because it was a huge problem in the early years, right? We had these amazing, everybody was blown away by the iPhone and it was fantastic. And it was like, this is, you know, I'm, I'm in Star Trek here. I've, I've got this amazing thing. And, and you'd have, remember you'd like hook up your iPhone to, to your Mac and then you'd go mm -hmm. through iTunes and it would update your contacts. Hey, between I got a new podcast. 
<laughs> yeah, no, no, totally. Well, you know, something in, in, in this evolution of mine to try and not stay current to be a cool kid, but just to like not become all calcified is, you know, when I look at stuff like what you can do with an iPad Pro now, and I, I think it's it gets kind of misframed as, okay, there's the people over here who say they'll only ever use a desktop forever. And then there's the Frasers and uh, Federico's of the world over here that are like, they're dyed in the wool iPad and will never use anything else. And there's a giant continuum in between. And I think to figure out what the right device for you is, you have to be, you have to have some humility about asking yourself what you actually really need on this device. And I have, I mean, if I'm honest, like, there's so much stuff where I would go, man, I could never do that on the iPad. Well, you know what? The iPad's got a lot of firepower now. It's not a processing problem anymore. It's more a case now of saying like, well, do I expect something like Keyboard Maestro on the iPad? Well, geez, I could never give up because I don't have, I don't have Hazel on my iPad or whatever. And the truth is like, you know, there are cases where that is absolutely true. And you'll always like, I'll always want to do all kinds of things on my Mac over iOS device. But if you're really honest with yourself and you kind of trace back in the stack and say like, well, what is the actual problem that I'm trying to solve here? What's the actual kind of work that I'm ultimately trying to produce? Let's take away the tools for a minute and say like, this is where my job starts. This is where my job is mostly done. What needs to happen in between? And for myself, I found that if I ask that question with humility and honesty, there's not that much stuff that I can't do in some way on the iPad. What's the thing that Snell uses? There's that thing where you turn it on. Oh, what is that? I keep, every time he mentions it and I hear it on a podcast, I'm like, oh, I got to get like, that. I've got to use that. <laughs> I've got to use that. And, and I always I'll forget ask the him. Name. Yeah. And basically, it's just when you flip it, the idea is that if when you're on your, the, the initial use of that is when you're on your laptop, you don't want to burn through all your bandwidth on this and that thing. But it's perfect for Skype recording where I would just say Plex, Backblaze time machine like yeah. dropbox like pause all of those things don't let those things touch the internet while i'm doing this show yeah. i apologize i try to ride that stuff it's not an easy way to quit there used to be a ma- an app you could get for time machine it was like time machine manager and you, what do you back up to you back up to a uh a, a time machine uh airport base station type thing I used to because if you're just backing up to weird. a hard drive that's connected, that's not gonna that's not gonna affect the network. Yeah, you know, you're probably you're probably right. Um, but then I checked, and it was also Backblaze going, and now it is stopped. All right. But sorry, I'm so sorry about that. So basically, I just gone on a rant to say that um, my my site should be clean. I basically all I was saying was that if I'm honest with myself. Um, and think, focus on the work that I'm trying to create. There's not that many cases where it's just undoable on any given device. I just have to think about what it is I'm actually doing instead of the tools that I'm accustomed to. Yeah. So speaking of these devices, you're, mm-hmm. I, there's a thing here in the show notes. Your, your, your daughter got a Chromebook. Oh God, this is so, this breaks my heart. So they use Chromebooks at school. It's what they do a lot of their stuff on. So there's actually two funny stories here. Funny story. Number one is, um, I am ready to throw my MacBook adorable into the sea uh, because the I've been uh, some, something like eight months, almost a year in with this thing, and I still can't get used to the arrow keys. I hate, I, the up and down. I hate, I hate it so much. I hate the arrow keys. I don't have one, and I don't, and I, but I hate it. Uh, well, it's the same on a MacBook Pro now, dude. I know. Same, same keys. Well, when I tested the MacBook Pro last year, and I realized uh, you know, that the ports are an issue and the USB-C thing is a huge issue. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I do feel like a lot of the power users, uh, they have legitimate gripes about Apple's decision-making on this thing. Um, but I really do feel that a, an awful lot of it boils down to Apple bet big on USB-C and the 
industry did not move to USB-C. Like you go and look for USB-C right. peripherals and it's like crickets chirping. It's like Mar Marco has laid this out very well. If you even even if you buy in on Dongle Town, there's still not any way to do what you would want to do. Let's say you want to record it like he does. You right. want to record a live podcast with a top of the line MacBook Pro. There's really no way to do that and get power at this point. Right, and you know what I mean. You don't want to record a show without power. I'd <laughs> uh, be nice. They, their show runs kind of long. I know. Um, you're, you're right. That was not a MacGuffin exactly. I know. But yeah, that was certainly the thing everybody noticed. But like I, I the what do you call it? Like the inverted T yep. pattern of arrows. I had no idea because you know, like you probably, I'm very into. I don't know what you call it. That text editing of you know command option. Yep. Yep. Um, shift and arrow keys, yeah. and I fly through text like crazy right. using that. Right. I, I don't know what, and I feel utterly hobbled without it. It's it's a, you know what it is. It's a USB A situation all over again. Like it seems like about fifty percent of the time I should hit the right arrow up or down, and I almost always get the wrong arrow, and I don't know why. Yeah, I, I, I at some point very early in my days in a late eighties in high school when I first got on a Macintosh, and I realized that in some app that you could, you know, use the shift key with the arrows to select text, you know, right. as you do it. And then if you hold the option key, it goes a word at a time. And if you use the command key, it'll go like to the beginning or end of the current line or paragraph. And then I realized that it's exactly the same in every good Mac app. And it was like, ah, oh, this is that, that's like where I fell in love with the Mac. And those, those, the, yeah, like, why was I never, why was I never taught this? It's so mental. Right. And, and this is from an era when, you know, words, you know, like on the, you know, or even on the Apple, you know, that there'd be different command, key, you know, sequences for selecting and moving around text in every app, every, you know, like DOS era or for Apple II era. I have just put, I've just put the um, support, Apple support doc into your show notes. There you go. Because it's, it, you, I bet you, I'll bet you dimes and donuts, almost anybody who looks at this page, you're going to find five things on this page you didn't even know existed. And it's, it'll, and once you internalize them, it's mind blowing. And one of the best things about iOS is that iOS has inherited all of these, um, or almost <sighs> my, all. My, my iPad with a Bluetooth keyboard is a very po powerful tool right now. Right. And it's crazy. And it's a big part, to me, it's a big part of the way that these iPad, uh, you know, the Federico's and like Jason, you know, Jason Snell is doing, it yeah. was just surprising to me because, you know, Federico's younger and, and his brain hasn't. He's doing a lot of typing, but right. I mean, there are people who are editing like legit podcasts right. and like Ferrite now, right. like people who prefer that over a Mac at this point. Uh, but for whatever reason on a MacBook <sighs> keyboard, at some point I also internalized that, the, that gap above the left and right arrow keys. I can't explain why the full height left and right arrow keys mess me up. Because in theory, it should only be better, right? They're not, they well, make make the left and right keys half height. I'll be happy. It's you know what I'm saying. Well, like I, they don't uh, all need to be big. But if you just made even just making the left, it's just, so what what it is right now, the left and right key are what we'll call full height, and then the up and down arrow keys are in between, are half height. And for whatever reason, I find it virtually impossible to hit the right left and right one because I'm the proximity is just weird and I end up hitting the wrong one. All and, the time. and I've just got this habit to 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 locate my hand on those keys by the gap that exists when they were all half height. You know what I mean? I'm doing it right now on this Bluetooth keyboard. So my ring finger on my right hand rests above the right arrow key. Um, I'm sorry, my ring finger. My my index finger on my right hand is on the left key. This is basically if I'm if my hand is not on the mouse, this is where my hand is, and then my middle finger is on the up arrow. Yeah. That's just that is my posture on a keyboard. 
I don't know. I could I could not get used to it when I tried those keys. And and I know that people are complaining about things like keys getting stuck. And that's just a that's a bug in the design of the keyboard. You know, like Apple didn't deliberate <laughs> Apple didn't deliberately make it so that your E key would get stuck every no. once in a while. But, but they, if you have a sandwich near that, you may need to replace the top half of your computer. Right is a thing that but happens these, now. <laughs> this new this new full height left and right arrow key is a deliberate design decision, and it makes me insanely angry. So, you know, it's cute and it weighs very little and it's nice. And, but, you know, I, I shh, you wouldn't believe the hour and a half that I spent trying to find the Mac that Marco was recommending, the 2015 laptop. Long story short, I've been thinking about getting a new laptop. And I said, because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm awesome, Dad. I'm like cool, Dad. And so I'm ready to really spring this on, on my 10-year-old daughter. And I say, yeah, you know, um, in the event that uh, Dad gets a new laptop, there's a chance that... Uh, this guy right here could be yours. And she's just like, mm, I want a Chromebook. I was like, you want a what? What? Go, go wash your mouth out with soap, a Chromebook? What kind of talk is that in this house? Because everything she uses is Apple, iPad, iPhone, iPod, uh, you know, Amazon, yes. But like every device that she uses is Apple. But she loves the Chromebooks that they use at school. And I asked her about it today. I said, I'm going to talk to Uncle John Gruber. Tell me what the problem is. You know what she likes about it? She likes that it's heavy. And big and sturdy, and she likes she likes the large keyboard on it. You know what? That's actually <laughs> that is that is not what I expected to hear. I kind of get what she's. I, I get it though, right? Because you mm-hmm. feel like you know it. it, it I, 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 you know, well, it's whatever you're used to, right? Well, I mean, it, that's yeah. The, her typing, her typing on a keyboard. So in the morning you, when I brush her you, hair, right, it, she looks at YouTube videos. That's the extent of her using a physical keyboard at home. You, but you pick up the MacBook Adorable, and you f- if you're used to that big, heavy, chunky, sturdy, this feels like a, a sturdy piece of machinery. The, the MacBook Adorable feels like a piece of glass that you're going to break. Inconsequential. You feel like right. if you put your drink down wrong, it's going to go out the window. Right. Like a st- yeah. strong gust of wind is going to take it. Oh, my God. So we had the, uh, the big carnival at school, and I swear this is not a jam up. My wife was the co-chair of the carnival. One of the things we did, we bought some of the stuff to be auctioned off. And one of the things was we, we donated personally, like an Amazon dot, and we said, hey, you know, people love these Chromebooks. We should buy a Chromebook, and we'll give that away, and we'll, you know, get, get paid back by the school. And <laughs> I don't know if it works like this at your kid's school, but there's seven parents at the school who do everything. So not only do we put on the carnival, but then we spent the most money at the carnival. Like we gave lots of money. We bought like $100 in raffle tickets. And guess what that did? That produced a situation where we won the Chromebook that we had bought for the carnival. And we were like, no, no, seriously. Um, and we like, every, we were like, seriously, this, is this a jam up? Like, I'm going to feel so bad if this is a jam up. And they're like, no, 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 you legit won. Like you bought all the, all the raffle tickets. Hey, this feel, it feels folks, like you're part of the Trump family now, though, right? This oh feels, my God. It feels, <laughs> I got the Javanka book. Right. It's like you're, you're, you're hosting State Department dinners at the Trump National Golf oh, Course. Oh, it and felt so wrong right. and so pretty privileged and like we donated this and we won it <laughs> but we were assured that there was a fair contest the truth is we're not going to expense it um that you know if we won it we feel like well okay we you know we won't ask to be repaid for it right. but yeah no we won it we haven't set it up yet because i'm kind of going through this whole thing with my daughter about how we need to if you're going to be on a computer like, there's stuff we need to talk about and stuff you need to learn. I know you think you know it, but no, you need to really, really learn it. Like, you're not going to like your password. And she cried when I told her that she couldn't use her fairly secure account password that she's got, which is a one-password English word, diceware pa- pa- set of words. Right. But I'm like, no, 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 no. 
I'm going to introduce you to the military grade password and you're going to hate it. <laughs> but, you know, that's a, that's a vector, right? So, but anyway, I just thought that was funny. I wanted to know, we've talked before about, you know, your son is, is the bellwether. He's a little older than mine, yeah. my kid, a few years. And so, like, I feel like you get this stuff before I did. Um, she loves the crumb. What's what is his situation? Jonas has no love for the Macintosh at all. He likes. Oh my god! He doesn't. This is hard for, he, Syracuse's kid, same way. Yeah, and you know, Moltz's kid got a gaming laptop. Dan's son is on a PC for yeah. games right now. Yeah, Jonas. Oh I think god. if he had his druthers, would have like a Razer laptop or something. Are we old? What happened? I don't know. It, it's like I said to you, there was something. You know, literally, it's, it's not the it's not us. It's the laptops that got small. Literally, it's the elegance of things like having the same text editing shortcuts and those shortcuts being so sensible, you know, that it wasn't just that they were the same in all apps, but that they were sensible and that there was this consistency. And I, I don't know, I fell in love with the Macintosh as soon as I saw it and I wanted to totally. make stuff with it. And Jonas treats his as uh, a thing that runs games oh, and, and a thing that runs YouTube. I take the mouse, I'm clicking on edit, I'm clicking on copy. When you watch people do that and you're like, oh my goodness, like this is in my DNA at this point, these key commands. He does prefer, he does have, he does prefer Safari over Chrome. And again, this isn't through my proselytizing. It, it, mm -hmm. He just doesn't, you know, it, it, and, he, and he totally gets it. He believes it and sees it that Chrome eats his battery life and that it, you know, it's like his yeah. his laptop battery life is like everything. <laughs> right, of course, of course. Uh, so he does prefer Safari over Chrome. So he has some of my some of my taste. Um, but all he really wants is a thing that you know, and 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 I think he would prefer because the the thing that get that gets him, and I I get it, I get it, is that there are as better as the Mac has gotten with games ever since they switched to Intel, right. where it's easier for game developers to do both. Um, What's the thing? There's that service that's like Netflix for games. What's it called? Uh, like, like Steam? Uh, Steam, yeah. So, uh, But there are games that come out on Steam that are only available on Windows and mm -hmm. aren't available on Mac, and it bothers him. Right. But the right. thing, the, the, the saving grace of that is that he's way more into the PlayStation 4 than he is PC games. But maybe that's because he has a MacBook Pro. Maybe if he had a gaming PC, he'd be more into PC gaming. I don't know. But right, all, the, only right. other, the only other thing he does is... Um, the only other thing he does is watch YouTube. And if he has homework, it's all in Google Docs. That's because that's what the school runs right. on. And so if, any, right, right. if anything, he'd be better off on a Chromebook, probably. I can yeah. only imagine that the Google Docs stuff runs better on a you know, Chrome than anywhere else. Well, one reason I'm resisting getting this together is I've never used a Chromebook. I mean, I, I think I roughly understand how it is. It's a device that's made to access mostly Google services, right? Isn't that kind of well? Any, anything you could do in a in a Chrome tab, you know, you know, just really mm -hmm. imagine a MacBook that was set like you know how like a, a but like Docs and Sheets and, and right. all that and all that kind of stuff plus the browser and all of that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've been a little bit resistant, if I'm honest. The part of the resistance is that I feel like I, I need to understand how this device works. Like, for example, they gave um, Microsoft, uh, gave Dan a Surface to try. And like, we'd really joked about it. And like, oh, God, these idiots at Microsoft. They were super nice. They sent Dan the Surface and he kind of loves it. Like he thought it was pretty amazing. And it been, we had a pretty good episode about it where he basically was saying, like, I really wish a lot of this stuff would come to the iPad. And, and, but the thing is, I'm so far out of my depth on PC stuff to begin with 
that. Like, I'm not even sure. I, I would feel like I have to learn how to reuse a PC environment just to feel comfortable using it. And that's the resistance I feel with the Chromebook. Where like, it might be as easy as in you just type a couple of things in, but I want to understand how it works before I give it to my kid. I mean, yeah. I guess that's probably kind of old fashioned, but that just seems advisable. Yeah. It's, I don't know. It's a, it's a weird world. Uh, what about the iOS stuff? She uses like iPad too or no? God, she's so good. She's like, it's crazy. We we might have talked about, yeah, I feel like we definitely talked about this a year ago. Because we talked about voice stuff last yeah. time, right? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, yeah that's right. The way, I, yeah, among other things last time, is that um, she still, she's less so, a little less so now. But up until very recently, she would always prefer to click on the microphone and speak rather than use the keyboard, which drove me bananas. And I was like... Just use a keyboard. It's a keyboard. But she did it and she made it work. And she's in Safari and she wants to find out how to make, you know, slime. And like she's able to just do that. Yeah, she's great. She's super fast with it. Mostly mm, looking at looking at videos to some extent. She does Minecraft on the iPad and does she's very into Lego worlds hmm. on um the PlayStation right now. Those are her big games right now. But no, she's an ace. She gets around uh, really fast. She's like they say, I guess a digital native. Like, there's nothing weird to her about this device. I, I, it, in my gut, I feel like, in broad terms, the difference is: Do you want a computer that acts like a computer, like from like what you and I think of as computers from back in the day, like a Commodore sixty four? You know, like where you, you, to get anything done, you kind of had to understand what the hell was actually how, how the thing actually works. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or, or are you using it more like an appliance? Like you're just at a higher level. That's ex that's exactly the way to put it. And, and yeah. it's not that they're, they're not. They have, they have a task. They have a right. task to accomplish with this. They'll put up with whatever they need to to get there. But they're not there for the polished user experience that we like to think that we're there for. Right. It's just like, oh no. And I, actually, you know, Syracuse and I, uh, the rectifs that came out yesterday, we we were talking about Steam and my experience using Steam for the first time. And he kind of took me to school on like what a huge <laughs> deal Steam was, of course, because it's Syracuse, about what a huge deal Steam was. Finally, there's these games that are now available on the Mac. But I was like, this app is hot garbage. Those aren't real window widgets. Right. Somebody painted it on there with a, like a magic marker. This looks like malware. Why would I use this? It's... And he's like, you know, and I, anyway, of course we had 45 minutes of arguing about that. But that was my thing. When I first opened Steam, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I, uh, what, do I need to also update my Flash? Like, this looks like the <laughs> fakest malware thing I've ever seen on a Mac. It, it looks like the Steam app looks like, it looks like the app that uh, Tom Cruise uses to communicate with uh, the Mission Impossible team. <laughs> like, I am definitely using a computer. Yeah. Benji, are you getting this? Yeah, it should be like beeping and whirring on every keystroke. Like, beep, 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 pop, pop, beep, beep. Meep, moop, I've hacked the encryption, we're in. Right. <laughs> typing noises, typing noises. Typing noises and and scrolling noises, right? As the but you know what I mean about the window widgets, the yeah. red, yellow, green. Yeah, it I, looks like somebody used a magic marker to paint those on there. It's not even from any OS that I've seen like in five years. It looks totally made up. I've I've got some part of my brain that uh, you know, like a lizard a lizard level part of my brain that is supposed to recognize threats. Like you know, you're out in the woods picking berries you know, 2,500 years ago and <laughs> something dangerous is in your eyesight. And, and before you even know what it is, you're already, you know, like, you know, your, your hair standing on edge and the adrenaline's popping. That's what well, you hear. You just, you just hear a rattle. Yeah. That's what happens to me when I see a yeah. non-native app. <laughs> I know. I know. 
I'm I, like, said that, I said to Syracuse, I said it looks like Swing. I feel like I'm using a Java app from like 15, 20 years ago. I'm like, this, it looks like, looks like somebody explained the way a Mac application should look over a bad cell phone. And then they faxed that to the people to put up a, uh, as the app. Like, I, I haven't even looked at how Steam works, but like, I wouldn't even be surprised if like, instead of writing its data to like, you know, library slash preferences or something like that, that it's just writing it to a, a dot folder at the top level of your home directory. <laughs> <laughs> like an entourage. Let's put all your mail in this one very large document. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, I don't, again, I don't, I say that not to, not to bitch about steam. It sounds like a very good service. I'm sure gamers are very happy with it, but it's more to say like, you know, it, this is, this really does feel like a cultural distinction yeah. something something I, i've been talking about i feel like we've been talking about for a while like one of the reasons you don't have a mac world anymore is because as i believe steve said there's mac worlds going on every day at stores all over the world and the thing i keep beating on is and people would look at me quizzically the last five years but i don't think people self-identify as apple people in a significant way like they used to there was a time when we really felt like the outcasts the outsiders the weirdos the cool kids for using apple stuff and blowing all our money on apple stuff i don't think when i see people on muni quitting all their apps on their iPhone, I don't think they self-identify no. as like, oh, th there might be the status of I am an iPhone user, but I don't think they see themselves as part of this winking hipster tiny glasses Helvetica uh, tradition of using uh, the, the best UX device. Right. And that you understand the, um, the idiomatic grammar of the UI. Right. Mm -hmm. And you, it's just in the same way that you can instantly, everybody can instantly recognize uh, a, a, English as a second language person through through the the incorrect idioms they use, right? Mm -hmm. that, it's, under, it's understandable, but it's not. Yeah, you correct. get it, but you yeah. can totally see like, and, and that you know, and that people from certain whatever language they're coming from will make uh, the same sort of mistakes. Like somebody who learned, like my friend Lee, who who you know speaks grew up in Vietnam. Um, he makes plural mistakes because there's totally different rules for when you make things plural or there are no plurals in, in Vietnamese or something like, you know, <laughs> that would be complicated, <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? But he'll often leave off the S and, and, and it, it, and it, it and, <laughs> go out and buy a dozen egg and egg and egg and egg and egg right. and egg. Um, you know what I mean, and and I do, I, I do. Well, and it's a, you can hear it, especially in speakers of things like Russian, right. where like the uh, Russian is a perfect example, right? Exactly. Because the sentence construction is, you know, you'll, you'll hear backloading and frontloading of certain kinds of parts, uh, you know, in the way that we have this, the way that the incredibly weird and complex way that we use adjectives. Adjectives yep. always go in a certain order yep. for some reason in English, and no one, you feel it, but you can't like identify it, but you know when somebody does it wrong. Yes. Exactly. You know, you you wouldn't say something like, um, "Oh, I, I saw an angry, wild. I saw a brown, wild, angry dog." Right. There's a certain way that, uh, and there's actually a wonderful book about this, about the ways that there's all these little like unconscious things in English. But anyway, I, I take I take your meaning. Um, yeah, I was just, I don't know, disappointed. That's a stupid word because I didn't even realize I was appointed. I, 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 didn't, I just assumed that she would want to have a, a Mac. Do you, I should find this for you because as a language nerd, you will really appreciate this. Yeah. Uh, here we go. Adjectives in English absolutely have to be in this order. Opinion, size, age, yes. shape, color, origin, material, purpose, noun. So you can have a lovely little old rectangular green French silver whittling knife. But if you mess that word order in the slightest, you'll sound like a maniac. It's an odd thing that every English speaker uses that list, but almost none of us could write it out. And as size well, comes before color, book. 
As size comes before color, green great dragons can't exist. What 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 is that book? That that's uh, I don't know. I've got a. I've got uh, an eye. It's a, uh, the elements of eloquence. That's it. It's so good and it's so well written. Do you, have you read it? No, I haven't. I, but I read this Guardian article that I'm pasting into the show notes as as we speak. Yeah, I learned about it from I feel like Paul Bausch, and uh, I, I, it's it's a wonderful like idiom to idiom. Like he describes this certain kind of an effect in in Greek or whatever, and then and that leads us to this, and boom, that's the next entry. It's an eminently readable book. It's so All good. Right. Highly recommended. Eloquence. What is it? The elements. The elements. Of eloquence? Elements of eloquence. There's we go. Yeah. Is another gift idea. For, uh, that's, a good, that's a good idea. The English-speaking nerd in your... So anyway, in a way that you can know that, I know the same thing for user interface. I can absolutely, positively, in an instant, tell when an app was designed by somebody who does not... Uh, was not a, you know, a native Mac UI designer. And, mm-hmm. you know, in the old days, it would be like a Windows-style app. Um, it could just be something like a super wordy dialogue box. You're like, hmm, this is your first day, isn't it? Yeah. Like, you don't or, put that many words in a dialogue box. Or or a dialogue box where you, you see the logic of it, but the order of which controls go where and what size right. they are is, like, nonsensical. Or if it says cancel and retry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I totally know what you mean. Yeah, my, my, my brief dalliance, just as a side note, my brief dalliance with uh, PC stuff was um, circa 2001 when I had to do some cold fusion stuff for work and I had to learn a little bit of cold fusion and it was really, there was the only sensible way to do cold fusion was on a PC. And it was so strange. It was just enough to drive me crazy. It was like just enough to make me feel nuts. We're moving between spending 30% time on the PC and the rest of my time on a Mac made me feel nuts. Like where stuff was on the keyboard, how the mouse worked. I, I, I got equally bad at both when I used both. I didn't get better at one or the other. I got, I, I got, I kept getting worse at both as I used to. I just pasted into the thing there. Uh, it's a recent post from uh, the amazing Dr. Drang where he has a, he's, he's talking about converting fractions to de- decimal values and how he used to do it in Excel, but he doesn't use Excel anymore, but he pastes a screenshot from Excel <laughs> and it's a, di- it is a, this is the current version of Microsoft Excel on Mac. Okay. See. <laughs> well, I sent it to you in iMessage. You can see yeah, it. Yeah, I got it. I got it. <laughs> this dialogue box is a perfect example. Oh my goodness. Oh, it's got Redmond all over it. <laughs> Yeah, I I don't know how to describe it. I'll put it in the uh, right now. I'm going to I'm going to make it. I'm going to do the thing where right now you could just look at your iPhone and and this will be the cover art. Now, I understand this dialogue box. I understand everything that's going on in here. I'm not confused. Right. No, it looks like it was designed by an engineer. Uh, (laughs) Where an engineer would look at this and go, what's the problem? Every option you would need is available here to select. And, and it's got a, it's got it's got three levels. <laughs> it's got three levels of of UI. You go from a tab to like a selection left rail right. to a sub selection, big text area. Not text area, but selection area. It's all there. <laughs> why, 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 right. Well, and, if and, you want this as sixteenths, you click on this. You go to that and that and this. And there's and this list of items for type, and it doesn't <laughs> take up nearly as much space as it could or should. But you can see why the engineer who made it did it this way. Because look at the scroll bar. There aren't any more. So if you only need <laughs> ten items, just make it ten high, regardless of how it looks in the. Oh in the, no! Why did you say that? <laughs> oh no! Now I see it. Oh no! Oh no! No no! It did, that one didn't have to be so tall in this. Oh no no. <laughs> Oh, this is very troubling. Is that because when you go to alignment font, border filler protection, I don't the know. category but needs look at, to... Look at the way the words, uh, the label sample doesn't line up with the label type. 
Oh, that's very upsetting. It's all very upsetting. These are the, the sort pad, of th- the padding on the sample is not good. Yeah, these are the sort of things that bother me. But this is a minor yeah. thing compared to yes. compared yeah. to I Steam. Mean, you, can, you can you can get this. You can right. get this. Uh, it isn't like there's like a <laughs> it isn't like there's a hastily drawn like octagon with a child's handwriting on it that says okay. That's what Steam feels. Like. So what makes me sad? Here's the thing that makes me sad about this yeah. is that in the old days and even today you still see it here. Here's like a Windows style UI on the Mac and it always makes me sad. But what I see more and more today is Mac apps that are written by people who clearly are iOS developers and never really the only Mac app they ever use is Xcode. Oh, interesting. Interesting. And you see these iOS style apps and it is it kills me because there's things like oh you can't copy and paste. <laughs> it's like what? Why can't I copy and paste? What are you doing That's here? So strange. That's so strange. I'm just uh, looking at the original control panel on a Mac or that they don't like one thing, like an, uh, an app made by, uh, I hate this. I hate this trend with the passion of a thousand sons is, um, these Mac apps that run not as like a Mac app with a menu bar or, you know, and, and that you can command tab oh, to like the cute ones that but run in their own little menu, their they, own little they, window. They run as a little widget up in the menu bar in the top, right? <laughs> <laughs> Where where is this? I don't know where this lives. This is in a secret room in my house that I can't right. find, and I have to tap on the wall to know but if it's there. It's, it, it's so strange, right? But it's because their mindset is they don't they don't think about apps as having a menu bar and having windows that you click through. It is just like a screen, and so they just make like an iPhone size app, and it runs. You click on a thing in the top right, and it hangs down from the menu bar, and there it is. I hate it. Bartender, love bartender, hides. <laughs> Hide so many things. Uh, do you ever hear of there's a there's a, a rival app to Bartender called hmm. Van, Vanilla? So you know how Bartender so bar there's two utilities that do this. They let you. They're great. I recommend anybody, out, especially if you have a laptop, because you you, you I have yes. I hate the apps that run in the menu bar, and even though I hate them, I still have so many of them that. That I, I well, need. You, you, you need them. Like, right. you know, this is how I get to Google Photos. This is how I get to Backblaze. This is how I get to all kinds of stuff in here. Do you know what I miss? I forget who I was talking about a couple episodes ago, but the thing I really miss, one of the things I miss the most from classic Mac OS is the control strip. Remember that? Oh yeah, with which, the little grabbies on it. That was which, great. And it was the it was the equi- it was where things like that lived. And you could they'd go away, you'd click on it, they'd come back. It was so elegant, it looked cool. Right, oh, I missed. It was the like a little strip. accordion pop-out thingy. Yep, exactly. Yeah, I, you know, I miss that with Windows, where like a lot of times, um, because I'm an animal, I'll be listening to Overcast in the web browser on my iMac, and I'll usually just you know double-click Chrome to like make it go down to the dock, and I miss that ability to like have things kind of pop up without becoming fully on screen. Do you remember yeah. what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Oh man. Vanilla. Okay, this looks pretty good. It's free. Yeah, I don't know why it's free. I, I wish that this guy would. I wish he would charge me a couple bucks for it. Thanks, Matthew Palmer. Yeah, I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> Did you want to tell me about anything else you like? Uh, you know what? I would love to. That's actually a that's actually a perfect segue. Um, now look, I, I'm telling you right now, that's fracture. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's, you guys know fracture. You'd know fracture, but you also know it's mid-November, and I've been telling you for, I think this is the third episode in a row where Fracture's been a sponsor, and every single time I've told you that you should already, you should pause the podcast and go order some Fracture prints for your your family. Go do it, because 
they're fantastic. A, they are fantastic gifts. You let's let's be, circle back to that because I want to talk about we'll that. We'll be you'll be praised to but high. You gotta, you gotta get the order in, you guys. Because by the fracture elves have to get to work making your fracture. Right. These things are made, handmade, handmade by a uh, mm-hmm. happy team in Gainesville, Florida, but uh, from US source materials, but they get backed up. At some point in early December, they're gonna say, you know what? Any order after this date is gonna be too late for for Christmas or whatever other holidays you might be celebrating. Do it now. You'll feel so much better. I'm telling you. This is the last one. I'm telling you right now. I'll give you a sneak peek. A, is this hint. your last warning? Well, it is oh, I, for the holidays. I know. I happen to know for a fact that the next episode of the show, the fracture's not. Uh, they're not sponsoring it. They're, this is the third of three in a row. Um, and I think the reason why is that by by the end of November, it might be too late already. You know, I'm telling That's you. That's heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. Get on it now. These are such good gifts. This is the most no-brainer, no-brainer gift of all time. It's so easy to do. Their site, can I take over for a second? Yeah. Their site is so fun to use. It's almost like using Flickr back in the day. It just feels like magic that you take a photo and it goes, oh, it looks like you want this kind of fraction. You go, yeah, I totally want this. Should I, can, can I make some more? Yeah, make some more. And then send that to your mom. Tell her I said hi. Uh, it, I've, I'm a terrible gift giver I, and and so far as that i struggle to i struggle to buy thoughtful gifts for people like my wife who i know intimately and love dearly and i cannot figure out what to get i cannot and let alone uh people more distant fracture gifts i think are the only gift i've ever given anybody where it's like actually triggered like a tearful joy wow right it is mm-hmm. it, it you know, think about it like, I don't know, maybe you've got like a 10-year-old kid, give your, you know, the kid's grandparents, your parents, give them a picture of the kid from, I don't know, five years ago or six years ago or something like that. Where they here's, were- here's, a, here's a real easy one, and especially if your kids don't get to see the, the grandparents or family members as much as you like. Open up your iOS device. And if you're the sort of person like me who favorites photos, just go into your go into your photos and look at some favorites, and then look at them like you're the person who might receive that fracture, and think about how thrilled they would be to get that little that, that close up of that sweet little face. I'm telling you, this thing is a great gift idea. But you are, I, this is the special. You know, I don't know if you knew this, Merlin. This is hmm. our, our Thanksgiving spectacular. Um, <laughs> no, not a holiday party yet. Well, no, well, it is a holiday uh, party, but it's okay. it's run under. Happy Briars. Thanksgiving, man. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> uh, so the holidays are officially started. Like this is the, the Thanksgiving episode of uh, uh, of the talk show. There won't will not be another episode until after Thanksgiving. I'm telling you, it might be too late. Don't just beat the holiday rush. Don't wait until December. I'm telling you, their order queue fuels up. Um, ordering a simple, like Merlin said, the website is a joy. You have so many selections for size. You could get, you know, get them a big one, get them a small one. Uh, everything that you need comes in the package that to hang it on a wall, to prop it up on a mantle or a desk or whatever. Um, and the picture quality is fantastic. And this edge to edge thing, it, it's no joke. It makes you, it makes every other way to hang a, a print of a photo seem outdated. Mm-hmm. Um, so where do you go? Go to fracture.me fracture.me or fractureme.com and save 15% off your first fracture order with the exclusive code talk15 that's t a l k 15 and uh, the talk comes from the talk show i presume and the 15 mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. the 15% you will save on your first fracture order and do not forget at the end of your purchase they will ask you a one question survey and that question is what's your middle name no, the question is, hmm. where'd you hear about this podcast? Uh, <laughs> and you can tell them you heard about it here, and it will help support the show. But I'm telling you right now, don't don't delay, don't wait, do it right now. 
do it. Just go, like Merlin said, go into your favorites, go into your favorites and just pick a bunch of them and get them printed up. You'll be so thankful and you'll be like, thank God John Gruber reminded me to get, to get mm-hmm. these fractured prints. You say, you save Christmas again. Yeah. Good sponsor. Oh my God. They're, they're the best. I love um, ours. You know, a year ago, I don't know what else you want oh, to talk God. about. Oh my God. <laughs> we got, I guess we got to do it. A year ago, we had we had a we had a holiday party uh, yeah. in early November, at the day after election day. Was it the day after? Did we record on Wednesday? The morning, the morning, the morning after. after. Mm-hmm. You were you were still uh, celebrating. <laughs> I'll never. <laughs> I'm never gonna forget. Miss, we're gonna miss a few people. <laughs> Wait, what was it? It was your live. We're gonna try to we're gonna try to get everybody. But we're gonna miss a few people. <laughs> <laughs> we were both um, in a pretty bad way, and it was very fresh and very raw. And uh, and I got to tell you, you know what? I'm probably stealing your thunder here, but I feel like <clears throat> I've done a fair number of podcast programs over the years. I feel like the re- the reaction that I got from that has been larger and more positive than probably anything I've ever done. I, the only thing I could compare it to, and it's, I don't think it's a coincidence. I think you and I, we do have a, we have a repertoire, but the, uh, the thing we did at South by Southwest back. Oh, in, that was good. Yeah, that was good. But it was, you know, I think, uh, not, not trying to make it sound like heroes or something. Cause we basically just got up here and we're like, I don't know what the hell's going on, which right. as it happened was what pretty much everybody I know was thinking that day. Yeah. But and really I, kind of mostly for a year. That's kind of mostly what it's felt like. It, I still thing, don't really know what's going on. The thing that got me and, and I know you saw it cause we were interacting with, with the same people at Twitter, but it was right around election day or the one year anniversary, you know, a week or so ago, about yeah. 10 days ago where, uh, uh just out of the woodwork, a slew of people on Twitter were thanking us for that episode, saying that not only did it help them a year ago when it came out to cope with the, the <laughs> surprising election of Donald Trump as president, but that in the intervening year, they've listened to that episode multiple times or that they it on the one year anniversary, they, they listened again and enjoyed it every bit as again and felt better because of it again. And at... Uh, you know, this is the talk show is this show is not the, a sort of evergreen listen to episodes over and over again, you know, type of show. It is sort of a what's going on this week type of show for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to hear that about an episode that, that we did not plan and and that I was. <laughs> well, and also, you know, I, I'm really grateful to everybody for saying that. I'm super grateful to everybody for listening because it was the word that uh, the only word I can really come up with. It wasn't fun, <clears throat> but it was cathartic in some ways yeah. Um, where it's, 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 I don't even know what to say. It's difficult. Well, like, like I'm going through right this very second, it's difficult to not be able to articulate what you're feeling, to have complicated feelings, to know that it's not a particularly good feeling, but it's one nice thing about having a podcast. If you have, if you have the means, I highly recommend it, get a podcast because it is an opportunity to think out loud a little bit and you may not exactly figure things out, but you do a rough draft of what's on your mind. And that that was useful, and I'm really glad I had something to fill my time that morning. Oh my god! I, nice responses. Uh, it, it really was, and I think people get it. And uh, and we tried to emphasize at the beginning that we're not trying to get uh, political on it because I think that was so upsetting about it. As opposed to just say, for example, like the election and re-election of George W. Bush uh, 15 years ago. It, you know, what, what 
uh, for example, me, I found that unpleasant, but it, it did not feel, uh, like the <laughs> world had been ripped asunder, right? Mm-hmm. It felt like, well, there are people on one side of this argument and there are people on the other side and more people, uh, well, <laughs> at least in the 2004 election, more people voted <laughs> On well, the other you know, side. Back, to, back to my my dumb baseball analogy, where I had said I felt like I it wasn't that my team lost, but I don't understand baseball. Like George, well, sometimes when you lose an election, it's it's a painful loss of a game, but you don't fundamentally question the whether you understand how the sport works, right? You know, and so like I'm trying to figure out something smart to say or talk about on here, and I don't have very much except to say that like I don't know. There's one thing I want to say up front, which is that I that I. I feel like I regret because it was very privileged of me to say, but we both kind of agreed, oh, everything's going to be fine, probably. Like, we'll come out of this fine. I hope you will allow us a little bit of happy talk on a very difficult day to say, hey, chin up, this is going to be fine. But, you know, the truth is, it we, we could have even known then that it wasn't going to be fine. Yeah. So I, I don't say I apologize, I guess. I apologize if I was coming at that from a privileged position. Um, it's it's now clear to me that everything's not hasn't gone fine and won't be fine. That sucks. Uh, the, the thing that's amazing for me is oh, and then the other thing I think nested. We didn't talk about this, but and I, you know we're not supposed to talk about this at all. But I got to tell you, John, in my mind, on that day, I know this is completely irrational, but. I swear to God, I thought he would, for whatever reason, for any of the many reasons I could come up with, I really did not think that he would be president today. I did not think he'd make even six months in there. I really, there's a part of me that thought this is all so going off the rails. I don't think he's going to be around even in six months, let alone in four years, which obviously I was wrong about as well. Did you have some part of your mind that thought that, though? Like, this is so aberrant that it's going to have to, like, the way you get a little splinter and your skin eventually kind of pushes it out of its own accord. Didn't it kind of feel like the system would try to correct this in some way? Uh, Part of me thought it, and then part of me, you know, thought, but he's so... Part I really do believe it, and I I I really think that he suffers from a a severe narcissism mental disorder, and that it's just that's just not a recipe for to be taken out, and and I, you know, it it really does require. uh, I don't know. I I, I, part of me thought it would happen, but part of me because I really do think that he is not mentally well in a very dangerous way. I well, really and just to be clear, that. I'm not limiting this to the what we talk about today with impeachment or 25th Amendment. I just thought there's there's so many grenades rolling around in this campaign. Yeah. It just seems like it's it's there's like 50 different reasons this shouldn't be, and it seems like the system would take care of that one way or another. It just seemed implausible that he would still be in that office. I, it's, it's like the system just wasn't ready for it. It really wasn't. You know, it's. Uh, you know, I think I don't know if I used this last year or not, or if I've used it before. But uh, but the way that our our system works is, um, like like in an official basketball game, like if you go to watch an NBA game, there's a referee and the referee, they're act, you know, or even like if an organized uh, recreational league and there's referees and like when I used to play rec league basketball, like the, you know, each team would have to bring like fifteen bucks and you pay the refs, you know. And, and and the refs, if the refs say it's a foul, it's a foul. And that's it. And there's nothing you can do about it. Whereas the political system is more like a pickup game of basketball where there's five guys on one team and five on another. And you've got to call your own fouls. And, you know, it, 
when I grew up, it's a funny thing. Like it's just like a difference between the suburbs and the city. When I grew up playing pickup basketball in the suburbs, um, the defense called fouls. And so if, if you, I was guarding you and you went up for a shot and I know that I touched your arm, Mm -hmm. it was up to me to call the foul. And if I didn't, you would say, oh, come on, that's a foul, but it, too bad, the game goes on. But, that's, but that it, would be dishonorable. Well, it would be dishonorable, and I'm going to get my comeuppance on the other end if I do it more than twice, right? And, right. If, you know, and if, I, if I'm habitually doing it, I'm going to stop being invited to play because we have, you know, you, you know what I mean? It polices No, that's itself. actually a really good analogy. Yeah. And, and in the city, when I came to, to Philadelphia in the early 90s to go to college, in the city, the offense calls the fouls, but the logic holds, and if you're the type of player who every time you get your shot blocked, whether it's a foul or not, you call foul, they're going to start, they're going to start, uh, you know, you're going to get your comeuppance on the other end. You know, right. the other team is going to start calling fouls when they get their shots blocked too. You know, just to, you know, if you're going to do it, I'm going to do it. It's like mutually assured destruction. Like what happens though, when there's a, one of the teams doesn't even want to play basketball and they just, well, and also imagine this is something that seems unique about the position that he holds right now, which is that there are all kinds of safeguards in place all the way up to vice president. There are, there are all kinds of things in like hearings and vettings and disclosures that you have to do um, about your interests in things. Um, and there are, are, can be very severe penalties for all sorts of ethical issues at every level of government except for one. And there is something unique I'm I'm not a scholar on this, but it's my understanding that there's a lot of stuff where it never even occurred to them to say, oh, yeah, the president has to do that, too, because it was just always assumed it would be somebody of good, good conscience who was an honorable player. Um, And I I don't want to turn this into just bagging on the man, but you just kind of assumed that, like, it's just so crazy how much the kind of stuff that he says on Twitter that not only would nobody nobody in government, even at like school board level, ever say on Twitter, but the fact that he's basically admitting to things that would get so many other people in so much trouble feels so frustrating. That, yeah. that, and then to be so kind of kind of proud of this, you know, what's your word? Kaka Kakatocracy? Oh, kakastocracy. Something like that. Yeah. Anyways. Government, government by the worst people. <laughs> yeah. Which but is a fantastic word, and it makes really, it actually soothes me that that word exists and comes from the ancient Greeks, because Greek, it makes yeah. me think that maybe it's not unprecedented. Like it's certainly unprecedented in the United States, but you know, it's like the older I get, the more I realize that you know, even two hundred years ago isn't that long ago, right? It, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you yeah. start gaining that perspective, and that you know, this sort of thing has happened before the 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 only thing that's unprecedented is you know the nuclear the The nuclear shame oh yeah that too the shame the shame in the nuclear well the worst the worst case scenario is (laughs) an awful lot worse than than it might have been back in plato's day if a maniac gets gets in charge it's not like calling traveling (laughs) right but they're the just thing, bad people, and and they're so like incompetent. Did you see and incompetent. That's that's the part that kills me, and that did, kills me. I'm kind of glad for it. I just figured, I figured they would just starting with the travel ban. That was such an interesting couple of weeks because it became immediately apparent that these guys were not firing on all cylinders. That they could screw up a wet dream if they chose to, and <laughs> that that just to, what the the one saving grace has been just the 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 utter lack of control, administration, and competence that could made could have made this so much worse. You know, that's that. That's the part that's a, a little bit mind blowing. Is like yeah. the, the thing that makes it even more of a grenade rolling around. Is you're like, wow, 
he, re- he really does think he's doing a great job at this. It's really strange. The thing that I have found over the past year that's really, I've, I've really, I, I have not put my head in the sand and I'm paying attention to politics as much as I ever have before. But some of my very favorite people to follow on this are real Republicans, conservatives who right. are, have their eyes wide open and are calling this out for what it is. Like two that come to mind and I, I, I read their columns. I think they're great writers. And, and I, I, I just find myself saying, yes, this is uh, David Frum who was mm-hmm. formerly uh, George W. Bush's speechwriter. I mean, his conservative bona fides are that he came up with the axis of evil line for, what, North Korea, Iran, and who was Iraq. the third? Iraq. Uh, in the lead-up to the Iraq war. You know, I mean, it was George W. Bush's speechwriter who came up with this axis of evil sort of muscular, you know, it, you know, it, it, this is not a, a middle-of-the-road Republican. But he's totally calling this out for what it is in terms of... Uh, a, their incompetence, and B, the um, corruption, the outright corruption, and, and, and the, uh, the the just lying, you know, the, the just just well, the, and, and, and plainly lying about something that is demonstrably that you can demonstrate is untrue. Right. right. You know, like one of the interesting things of, of you know, again, it's, it's almost like we're smoking weed in college, but you know, there, there's long-standing debate about about who was the mid-century writer who got the, the, the dystopian future right. Was it Huxley or was mm-hmm. it Orwell? Orwell, yeah. And, and everybody was so afraid. Orwell's future seemed so much scarier and everybody, but then, you know, there were a lot of good arguments to be made <laughs> before the last five, 10 years that Huxley was the one who, who, who was more on point. And, you know, it's not one or the other. They were both mm-hmm. brilliant, but, but that this, you know, entertain the mat, you know, you don't have to lie and you don't have to oppress them. Just entertain them and they won't pay attention. And, you know, all sorts of bad things can happen. Uh, uh, but to me, the Trump administration has really woken up the Orwellian aspect of it, right? Like, mm-hmm. it really, literally from day one with, with the, 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 the goofy thing where there, you know, it was a sparsely attended uh, inauguration. Oh, that was so bizarre. It was a sparsely attended inauguration. You could, there look are, at, you could look at it with your eyeballs and see. Right. Photographs taken with the exact same camera focal length from the exact same vantage point showing how much, you know, maybe hundreds of thousands fewer people attending it. And, and the White House press secretary with spit coming out of his mouth and his face red. That was his introduction. At, that was his introduction. Right. And right. now we know we, we can, we can, we, it's our first sign that we're going to have to confront an administration that's going to be defined by the pettiness of the lie they're willing to defend. And like, right. that's such a small, insta- you know, you know, I don't want to have this argument. You think I want to argue about how many people were standing in an area what a strange thing to be spending our time on. But the fact that he has so, I, you know me, I do not use double down because that has a special meaning. But to redouble his efforts to prove this thing that is demonstrably untrue, even though it's completely petty and unnecessary to everybody but him, makes it an issue. And now we're in that too. Yeah. Uh, oh, that, that was a tough day for Sean. That was a tough first day on the job. <laughs> he, had his, he had his big boy suit on. Remember that? Yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> My little turtle man. Yeah. <laughs> <It> was... <laughs> <laughs> who, who, who had the original joke? The more he lies, the smaller his head gets. <laughs> I don't know, but it was true. <laughs> it's just bizarre. It yeah. just was the sort of thing. And it, again, I don't think that's political. You know what I mean? Like it's not political on, or it's political, but it's not partisan. You know, it's it, it, it's not right, right. left right. You know what I mean? Like uh, I'm not here arguing about whether we should massively slash 
taxes on the rich, which is a partisan, uh, you know, le- typical left right argument. Or should we? Well, it's got so many shades. It's got so many shades it, to it. It, it has nothing to do partisan. with partisan. Yeah, yeah. Right. But also, like you know, there there are people in one's own party one does not particularly like or want to support. Right. Like, did, you know, should the party thing even matter that much? I mean, like, what what do the people have to say? What are they doing? What are they accomplishing? You know. But if anything, we I, and I, I I see this from the people that I follow on um, Max Temkin's political U.S. politics Twitter list, which has become a way bigger part of my life than I'd like to admit. Is that you know the thing is, you you got to just not take your eye off the policies. That's the problem is that right. there are so many ways, I, you know, I don't want to say distract us or I'm not even making that dumb case that there's only one important thing and stop looking at Russia because this it's all important in its way. But like it's it's just so easy at this point to lose track of the policy stuff that's happening. And then to, as, as against, as you say, what do we mean? Politics, partisan, like, you know, and these these words that used to seem. Like, we all kind of understood them a year or two ago, say two years ago. Like, it means so many different things now. There's so many different tribes. It's even difficult. I mean, you know, conservative and liberal, uh, progressive. Like, what, what, what do the words even mean anymore? It's just red and tooth and claw. Yeah. I, I don't know. And, and the thing that depresses me a year in and that it's become more and more clear. Like, it's not, a, it's not like I wasn't aware of this beforehand, but it, it it's become... Now that, that he's in office and so much stuff just continues to get overlooked, it, it becomes so obvious to me that there is a contingent in the U.S., a very sizable contingent that largely backed Trump, who sees their number one enemy as the people on the other side of the spectrum here in the U.S., that that's the enemy. And if and, and that the thing that keeps them in favor of Trump, like the 33 percent who still give him a favorable rating, is that he keeps doing things to piss off liberals and if he's pissing off liberals, whatever it is, it's good. And it, it it couldn't be more clear to me that that's true. And I find that incredibly, dis, you know, distressing. And, and literally, I mean, like for kids who, like us who grew up in the 70s and 80s, to, to have them see the Russians, well, the enemy of my enemy is my friend and my enemy is Hillary Clinton. So therefore, <laughs> the Russians are my friend. Right. Is it, 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 it's startling. It's absolutely, you know... It's not like uh, like they're too young to remember who the Russians are. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so I got in a discussion the other day about somebody posted a thing on on Twitter where there was a screenshot of a web app that they were trying to run in Mozilla, and it said, uh, "Your browser is not supported. Please use this. You have to use this in Chrome." And the discussion on Twitter is more or less, how did we come around to this? Didn't, you know, like back around 2000 when everything was like, it only runs in IE and we were like, like a groundswell movement to get like the Mozilla project off the ground and then WebKit after that and, and to embrace web standards that all these, you know, to, to, to get developers on board with building using web standards to build everything so that nothing would be dependent on one single browser. Mm-hmm. And it worked, right? It worked. We, it actually worked and broke the, the, the lock that IE had on this. And it, it's like, we've circled around again and now people are building things that only work in Chrome. And I think part of the, I, I think the explanation is that they're being built by people who are too young to remember 2000, right? Hmm. That it's, yeah. you know, 22 year old developers who see these cool things that Chrome and Chrome only supports and they're doing it because they were seven years old when, when we were trying to break the IE, uh, but also like, you, you think how do you pronounce that's... that word? How do you pronounce the word? H E G E M O N E Y M O N Y. 
Oh, I'd usually say hegemony. Hegemony. But I don't trying know. I'm not married to it. All right. But anyway, but no. this Russian thing, uh, <laughs> how can you forget who the Russians are? I mean, Vladimir Putin was literally uh, a goddamn KGB agent. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't get it, except that the only way it makes sense is that whole enemy of the enemy, enemy of my enemy is my friend and Hillary Clinton is my enemy. Like, aren't you amazed at how many people continue to, uh, how much, like you turn on, if you browse through Fox News, how the news is about Hillary Clinton's uh, corruption? And it's like, dude, that election, literally, it's over a year ago. It is over a year ago. She lost. Yeah. She lost and she didn't dispute she, it. It's she, over. Should, she should definitely be taken out of office at this point. Well, did you see the thing? I, I retweeted it. Uh, the Jimmy Kimmel show this week had a, a man on the street thing. And I, I, I sometimes roll my eyes at those man on the street things because if you shoot enough people, you're going to find some yeah, idiots. Yeah, yeah. You're but they went look out. Silly. Yeah. They went out and, and on the streets of L.A. and were asking people if they think Hillary Clinton should be impeached. And, <laughs> right, and they okay. found dozens and dozens yeah. of people who all said, "Oh, absolutely, absolutely!" For the you know the crime she's committed, and it, she's and it's and they, and like the the person said, "So you think impeachment is in order?" And they were like, "Yeah," and they were like, "She she should be removed from office," and they were like, "Yes, definitely." Well, you know, there's that that old that old joke about the drunk wandering around under the street lamp. And the cop comes up and says, "What are you doing?" He says, "I'm looking for uh, looking for my glasses." <laughs> And he says, uh, where'd you lose them? Oh, they fell in the river yesterday. And he says, well, what are you doing here? He says, oh, the light's so much better over here. <laughs> and, and, you know, I think, I think in some ways what you're seeing is a, 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 a nation of people who can't even at this point. Nobody can even anymore. And each side feels like, to uh, paraphrase Will Ferrell, um, it feels like you're taking crazy pills. Because you feel like you're seeing something that is so clear to you and you cannot believe that the other side sees it. So even if even if she's not technically president and can't technically imp- be impeached, isn't it obvious that she's a horrible person who needs to continue to suffer, right? right. That, and I think, I, I haven't thought this out very well, but I, I feel like there's, part of this is that there's a war, a war, a battle, a fight, there's a fight going on right now to decide who's allowed to decide what's true and what their reasoning is for deciding that it's true. And I, maybe that's always been the case. It's just that it's an open war at this point. There's no, there's no longer any disputing that people have different ideas that are on both sides, probably a little bit irrational about how things are, why they're that way and what that means. And I, when you see something like what's going on, day to day lately, it really feels like it's an attempt to redefine. And this is what makes it feel, I mean, I, I, I personally, I, I, I'm very resistant to going into the whole like Orwell thing or the whole like Mao thing or any of that. Cause it's, mm, we should save that, keep that special. But on the other hand, people choosing to, as a group decide that this empirically provably false thing is not only true, it's importantly true. Mm. That's the you know what I'm saying like when when everybody can look at this at this same blue triangle and call it a you know a, a red rectangle by fiat that that's where to me it does get a little bit scary but also where it makes me try to look at myself and say like you know what are the hills that I decided to die on and didn't realize it but it's a, it's a battle for what for what is true and who's allowed to decide that that I think is really salient right now yeah. You know, this is this is the way this is the way that we have. I'm not trying to name names or places here, but like, like, well, you know, when you attack a Confederate statue, you're attacking my dad. When you when you attack guns, you're attacking my grandfather. 
you're you're attacking like and whether that's true or not, I, I think that's very true. You and I've talked about baseball and family. There's these certain kinds of things that become and we're not even getting into the whole like don't think of an elephant thing about the country as a family, but but things start to feel like an attack on your family, even when they're not. The fact that solar energy exists feels like attack an attack on your family. That sounds silly to you and me, but to right. somebody else, solar energy might as well be Hillary Clinton with her uranium. Like, right. it's you're destroying my community. This is what this community does. You're destroying that. Like, not only are, like, well, I'm going to stop at this point before I get myself in trouble. But, but that, that the battle for, for not simply what we decide is true, but who's allowed to decide that, um, I think is a, a big part of what we're dealing with right now. And it's going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah. And... and... You, you mentioned before, and I kind of feel the same way, where we had a sort of, we're going to, this is, this is effed up and we don't know where it's going, but we're going to be okay. And I feel, I feel just as bad as you do about that take. Because, it, it felt like and, we were just being positive on the day, but listening yeah. back, it didn't age well. No, it didn't. I mean, anybody, and, anybody whose, whose parents just got removed from the country, like, guess what? It didn't work out for them. That was a yeah. real thing that happened. Yeah. Real people, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, uh you know, and real people who are living in terror right now of, of what uh, immigration and uh, whatever ICE stands for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I wrote on Daring Fireball a couple of weeks ago that they're, they're literally a terrorist organization. And I mean that sincerely. Well, they're certainly using that. terrorist means. They're, they're right. fighting asymmetrically. The idea of going to a hospital or a church to try and find a child that you want to remove from the country is some very, very dark material. And doing it in a way where they, they, they call the press. They, they'll call the press to go and, and uh, you know... Uh, so that the press is there to photograph and publicize it, that if you go to a hospital or or the big one was, you know, uh, we had a couple of hurricanes this year that were not, you know, not good. And there was an announcement. (laughs) made. Very bad. Yeah. I forget (laughs) if it was in Texas or Florida, but one of them, the sheriff made an announcement that, uh, that there, there'll be, there'll be, uh, immigration officers, uh, at the shelters. At the shelters, yeah. Uh, it, again, so the idea I think that is, was, you I could, feel like that was in Florida, and then I, I feel like in Texas they expressly were trying to not say that. If memory right. serves, but I don't remember. I, I think it was so. A, you're it, right. It was a local. It was on a local basis, I believe. Right, and, and again, I, 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 it's just incomprehensible to me, you know, that that you what a, would, sho- what a shockingly inhumane and cruel right. thing to do. Like, what a position just, to put somebody in, you know, like somebody who yeah. is undocumented and maybe, you know, even if it's just themselves and they're by themselves and they have to decide, do I, you know, I, I don't feel safe in my house, but I feel like I might get arrested if I go to the shelter that's, you know, a, you know, a certified reinforced hurricane proof facility with, you know, medical professionals and, and stockpiles of water and, and basic provisions. Um, what what a it's sick i i don't know i i you know and again that that's not me you know what i mean like i don't have to worry about that and that 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 yeah. privilege absolutely you know uh, fed me with more optimism than i should have had and it's yeah. not it's not right and i feel i feel guilty about it i really do <laughs> <laughs> you want to tell me about something you like <laughs> I feel like we really brought the show, yeah. brought it to a happy oh, place. Bring it to a happy All place. right, we'll talk about it. one of your sponsors. And you know, you know what, John, I, I got to be honest with you, buddy. Ah, I got to tell you, Christmas is coming up. Christmas is a hard time of year for me. I'm not a good shopper. I'm hard to shop for. Is there anything out there that can help me with this situation? Do you know anybody with bad Wi-Fi? Oh, brother, do I ever. 
oh, bane of my existence. You get Wi-Fi that drops out. You uh, you don't have any ability to test the speed. There's all doesn't kinds of your, ways. Doesn't doesn't cover the whole house. Doesn't uh, you cover know, the whole. I've apartment. had I've had things like extenders and amplifiers, but it hasn't felt like it blanketed. Let me tell you blanketed about you. in a mesh like way my entire edifice in delicious Wi-Fi, hot delicious right. steaming Wi-Fi. All right, let me tell you about Eero. E E R O. Now, unlike a traditional router company that typically tries to, the old style way of trying to saturate your house with Wi-Fi is to build bigger base stations and and try to pump more Wi-Fi rays through the house from a base station. Eero takes a totally totally different strategy. Eero creates a mesh network where you have multiple multiple devices that you spread throughout your house. Uh, you don't have to have a special base station one. The, the same one that serves as your main one, you set it up. It have a little app. It is a brilliantly written, simple iPhone app. You put oh, it on your please iPhone. Please let me talk about that app. Uh, and it, it just says, okay, this one, you give it a name. Like maybe maybe your cable connection is in your living room. You can just say living room. Mm-hmm. Uh, my house, the main connection's in my office, so it says office. And then you connect other ones throughout your house the app will give you instructions on where best to place them like to if you can put them near the stairways so that there's less fewer walls interfering that's even better but the app will guide you through it and you carry a couple of them and you don't connect to the thing you have to keep in mind was you let's say you have three of them you have three of them to, to in your house you don't have three wi-fi networks so it's not like you've created some kind of thing where now you have three wi-fi networks and depending on where you ha- you're in your house you're connected to network a b or c it's just one network your devices only see one network when you go to your wi-fi menu in the menu bar it only shows up as one network but the device this is the way the mesh network connects it'll connect intelligently to the one with the strongest signal and it really just works. It you don't have you don't have to have like a networking uh, engineering certificate to set this up. You just <laughs> plug them in. The app takes care of it. And they've got a new second generation uh, hardware that that they came out with. I think just a couple of months ago. But the the second generation hardware has a third five gigahertz radio, and so now it's tri band, and that makes it twice as fast as its predecessor, the Generation 1 Eero. And the Generation 1 Eero was plenty fast, fastest Wi-Fi I've ever had in the house. Um, uh, So double the speed on something that was already fast is just terrific. And they've added these things called Eero beacons. Mm -hmm. So instead of having the full... I got the beacons. The beacons are brilliant. They're just little things. You don't even have like a power cable. They, They just plug into the wall like a, a nightlight. And in fact, mm-hmm. you can just I, just, I always imagined the meeting where they were like, well, we could just plug it into the wall like a nightlight. And somebody in, in at, the, at the table was Henderson, like, well, Henderson, Henderson shoots up and he says, wait a minute, what if we made it a light, nightlight? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> and, Henderson. It's, it, and totally, somebody, we t- it totally works. I never fall down going to the bathroom anymore. It's really nice. Right. So you can set it up and it can be a little nightlight. And if you don't like that, you can use the app and say, turn on, turn the light off. Uh, so you don't, you don't have to use it as a nightlight. But if you want to, it's there thanks to Henderson. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you have these smaller things. They're so inconspicuous. And it, you can fit them anywhere. And because you don't have to plug it in and run a cable, it's it's like if you just have an outlet at like the side of the stairs or something like that, it might be the perfect location. You just plug it in and the the beacons act as you know part of the mesh network to just saturate your home with really strong, thorough Wi-Fi service. Um, it, 
It's really great. And a brilliant little devices. Just go to the website and take a look at them. Honest to God, I, I, I would call them Apple-esque in design. They're sort of like a little white version of an Apple TV with, you know, nice round corners, uh, very inconspicuous, really, really about as, as nice of a, if you can make a router look nice, the Eero is it. Can I, can I, very, can I say a word? Small. Can I say a word about the app? Absolutely. Because I'm a fan. Go look at your uh, your text. Go look at that. Yep. So I'm, one thing you can do that's really, really cool. And there, there are whole other products and services that you can pick up that just do this one thing that Eero already does, which is it will show you every device on your network. And if you're a weirdo like me, you can go in and you can name all of your devices, whatever you want, and you can give them emoji. So oh. all of my all of my Apple or all of my TV pucks naturally have a hockey icon. You got you got Max, you got the Amazon One, you got my Kindle Oasis is a little is a little book. Okay, that's cool enough on its own. Now what's nice is it will show you what is on your network right now, what has recently been on your network. Why is this useful? If there's something weird on there that you don't recognize, you can block it. If you think yeah. somebody's glomming onto your network in a weird way, you can just you can just block it. And if it is currently connected to your network, it will show you at that moment how much bandwidth that device is is uh, downloading and uploading. It's uh, so it's- great. And if you happen to have a problem, you can even look at it, and it'll tell you which base station it's connected to. Have you done profiles yet? Uh, I don't think this so. What's a, a whole, profile? This is a whole. You can go out and buy products for this. You can have profiles. So you create a profile called, uh, for the sake of argument, Teenage Son. And the Teenage Son profile has certain kinds of devices on it, and then certain kinds of rules about when it's allowed to be used. So yep. if you've got yourself some little scamp that likes to dash off with the Chromebook and sit in a closet like an animal, you know what? Maybe their Wi-Fi gets, uh, gets, goes away a little bit about 9 o'clock. You can do that. That is built in. You, have, you can yep. have some things. You have, you have absolute control. This is the MCP. That's what I'm saying. I, I really like this. I like I like your emoji. He sent this screenshot. He's got a he's got a book a book emoji for his Kindle. He's got a, a the scales of justice for the Withings scale. This is really actually. I thought that, I was like I looking spent, at this. I spent an entire Friday night doing this. I was looking at. I was like, wow, my Euro app doesn't do this. I didn't realize that you did the work. But it is a great feature. You can see all the devices on the network. And one of the other little things that I love about this, and I know that other base stations have this feature. I know it. I know it's not unique to Eero, but Eero makes it so easy to set up. It's so easy to set up a guest network. Because I'll tell you what, I'm a weirdo. Mm-hmm. You know what? I have even when, like when friends come over, yep. but especially when it's just like people who are like lowercase f friends mm. uh if they want to get on the wi-fi i don't like letting them on the real wi-fi well, especially if they didn't bring anything you know if they didn't like bring bring beer or casserole or something like why are you gonna, you gonna give them the password i don't think so get on the guest we, network we had somebody on the we had somebody at the house uh a family distant family member was in and wanted to get on the wi-fi uh and it had an android phone and i i, I just mm. uh i just thought eh, who knows what the hell's running on that and like an old android phone and it's like you know what put them on the guest network mm-hmm. isolated so good this is uh, a good product anyway good product john It'd be, you know what fantastic gift you know? And exactly. So if you've got like a family member, I'm telling you, you got like your parents have some rickety old Wi-Fi network, buy them an Eero setup and set it up for them at Christmas. It'll be so easy. I swear you'll be done in five minutes. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so great. So like, for example, I'm just saying, if you have an Eero already and you know how good it is, not a bad gift idea for the people in your family who uh, could use something like this. And I will tell you this also with firsthand experience, if you have the first generation Eero, mm-hmm. uh, buying second ge- generation Eero material, you don't have to like start over from scratch you can just sort of add the second generation hardware to your network and you still get some of the better for performance and stuff like that cool it's really really great um 
Where do you go to find out more? You go to eero.com and you get free overnight shipping in the U.S. and Canada. I'm sorry if you live elsewhere, but it's free overnight shipping in the U.S. and Canada at eero.com uh, when you enter the promo code the talk show. So you got to go. Uh, you got to use that promo code to get the free shipping in U.S. or Canada. It's at eero.com. You'll find out more. Um, they've got some great basic they, – they, the website will help you decide just based on the size of the house or apartment you're buying for what to buy and how many units and stuff like that. You don't need me to tell you that. So just go to eero.com and remember that code, the talk show, for free shipping in the U.S. and Canada. Good there gift. we go. Christmas is all set. Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> hmm. Uh, All right, what else do we got here? Oh, let's do something uh, short and happy. How many more sponsors you got? Uh, that's it. Well, let's do something fun and happy. We could talk about you your sandwich. You, we could talk about... You asked here. I'll tell you this. Before we move off from politics, you have an item here in our suggested ideas about predictit.org. <laughs> and you wrote... Here's what Marlon wrote in the show notes. Predictit.org. Ever tried gambling on stuff like politics? And so predictit.org is a site where you can put real money in there and bet on things like who's going to win an election or something like that. <laughs> I lost a lot of money on predicted.org last year. Oh, you did? Were you listening to the um, Starly Kind, David Reese? Or not, no, I'm sorry, not, I, no, no, the other one. The one with um, David and the other fellow. Were you listening to the, uh, where they were doing Predicted on a podcast? Uh, no, I was just oh, making my own gut feelings. So but I, I, I forget how much money I put in to start. I forget, I, I, <laughs> what I kind really of contracts? Do. They call them contracts. Which ones were you attracted to? Were you into the really like weird, like flipping mm. a coin at the Super Bowl type ones? Were you into no. margins? What kind of stuff? Were you mm. just straight up candidates? Yeah, straight up candidates. And I bet, I forget how many hundreds of dollars oh, I no. put oh, in there. Oh, don't say. Oh, don't say. Oh. But I ran it up. I ran up like a couple of hundred dollars to start up to well over a thousand because I bet heavily against Ted Cruz. <laughs> I bet a, I, 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 the only one I lost a little bit on is I bet some money on Marco Rubio early. Uh, but the big one was I, I early on in the Republican primary, I uh, Trump was selling at around well, the way that this site works is is you get like a number from zero to a hundred, but typically it's from one to 99. And so for example, let's say if you bet on, um, um, Hillary Clinton getting the democratic nomination and it costs you 68 cents mm -hmm. when, if she wins, you get paid a dollar for every one of those shares that you, it's like a stock market type thing. So you paid 68 cents a share for it on the pay on the presumption that she, at that point she had a 68% chance of winning. If she, on election day, she wins, you get paid a hundred you get paid a dollar for the 68 cents share you bought. So I bought Trump at like 18, 19%. And I bought a lot of it because I could, it was, I get a point where like I sold my Marco Rubio at like a small loss. I was like, you know what? Trump's going to beat all these guys. I could see it. It that was like, I knows how to drink a bottle of water. <laughs> it's like, I, I, I just saw it. I, I was on board with the Trump really, you is feel never like going to, you saw it. You saw it coming. Yeah, I really, or at least saw it as way higher in odds than 18%, mm -hmm. right? And so I bought, I don't know, like 500 shares, of, five, 600 shares of Trump at 18%. Uh, and it eventually became worth, you know, I held on to it till the very end and, and you know, got paid a dollar for every one of them. Uh, and I also bought a ton of Hillary Clinton at like to beat Bernie Sanders at like 62%. And I, I thought that it was crazy. I thought this was like, I was like, I, I should like, I should like sell my stock and put all my money in this. Mm -hmm. And I still feel that way. I felt like Hillary, I felt like the only way Hillary Clinton wasn't going to beat Bernie Sanders was if she had like a heart attack or something, you know, like mm -hmm. if, if 
you know, something medical or happened to her or a plane crash or something like there there was a point where I, and it wasn't just my opinion. It wasn't like I think Hillary Clinton should beat him. I like well, Hillary Clinton the, the, more than know, Bernie. Also, the brain prions that she got from eating children at the pizza parlor. Yeah. No, yeah. I'm talking about like just like the math of like you know that she had already won certain primaries and right. you know that it, it wasn't like before the New Hampshire primary. It was like you know one third into primary season and you could still get shares of Hillary Clinton at like sixty eight, sixty nine percent when the math was there that it, there's no way out, for him to perform that. There was no way that he could win, yeah. you know, it, 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 mathematically. Mm-hmm. And I know that this upsets Bernie. It upset Bernie supporters tremendously, like last March, April, when you would tell them that, because they they were saying I would prefer Bernie to win, and you would say, well, it doesn't matter mathematically, he can't win. And then they would say, but I want Bernie to win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and it, 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 you know, you were talking at cross purposes there. Mathematics you know, would be very like, cruel. I have an analogy. Ben Thompson and I have brought this up that I think uh, I really do believe this. If I could commission a poll, I I believe I know that they they call it sports ball. There's a lot of people who don't like sports. Hmm. And and, and when people start talking about sports, their eyes go back in their head. I believe that there is a, a correlation, a very strong correlation. Obviously, there are exceptions on both sides, many exceptions. But I think there is a strong correlation that Democrats who are sports fans supported Hillary Clinton and Democrats who don't like sports and don't pay attention to sports support Bernie Sanders. Oh, that's Bernie super Sanders. interesting. I never thought of that. Hmm. Right? And, and there is a... In sports, there is a... It, it, you, you can't really get... Uh, 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 what's the opposite of pragmatic? Uh, idealistic. Okay. You can't let your ideals take advantage of you. Okay. Like, let's say... Uh, Especially if you know, you're betting. Let, Right. Yeah. Well, let's just say you're coaching. Let's say that idealistically you think a starting pitcher should pitch at least five innings and your starting pitcher is out there in the second inning and you're already behind 12, nothing. You got to You got to go out there and take them out and, and replace them. You know, you, you're, you're getting killed. You know, it's not, you're, it's not you're, his I, day. right. You, you know, I, I, this is just a loose thing. And I really do feel that part of that was that the idealism like Bernie Sanders supporters were far more idealistic than Hillary Clinton supporters, whereas Hillary Clinton supporters were pragmatic and are like, we should end this because the most important thing is making sure that, you know, either Bernie, whoever wins, wins the election. But at this point, Hillary is going to win. And so this is self-destructive to, to keep fighting this. Oh, in other words, if it, if the case had been otherwise, that they might've said the same thing, except with Bernie taking over. Right. And so like, imagine like, so football is a good example. So imagine in a football game, there's uh, three minutes left to play. And the w- one team is up by uh, 35 points where well, they're not going to win. And so it's, it's really in everybody's interest and in the interest of sportsmanship for, you know, just, just don't play it, you know, take a knee and let the clock run out. The Bernie Sanders people are like, well, my, I want to win so bad. I'm going to keep trying to tackle the other team. Yeah. Maybe I'll get a super touchdown. Right. Maybe I'll but get like a even th- even think of things like injury, like avoiding injury, like the kind of stuff where you right. go like, boy, wouldn't it suck if we were up by 35 and our quarterback got a concussion? Right. So anyway, I I made money betting on Hillary Clinton at a point I put, you know, several hundred dollars in it at a point where I felt like mathemat, you know, I was really just betting that she wasn't going to die before the <laughs> primary election. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I honestly believe that. Right. I really do think that you could just tally up the, the you know, the what do you call them? Delegates. And God, the I bet there's a bet for that, too. Yeah. I think there might have been. So anyway, I ran up. I made a ton of money on the primaries by betting on Trump, by betting against Ted Cruz uh, and betting on Hillary Clinton. So I turned like a couple hundred bucks into like, I don't know, 1500 bucks or something like that. And I just let it all I let it all ride on Hillary winning the 
general oh election. God. So I, I wound up with nothing. Like literally turned like fifteen or sixteen hundred dollars into zero. That's how it goes, huh? No. That's just but I had, like how quadrupled it goes. my money. I think I started with like three or four hundred dollars and like quadrupled it in the primaries with those bets. Oh. Did that, did that give you confidence? Confidence? What? The winning in the primaries? Well, I mean, or like losing? The, it felt like you kinda like like anything, I didn't feel you, like you start getting some winning hands. I felt like did feel, my bet did you feel on like Hillary. you were hot? Yeah. And I, I did feel I, I, I you know, we talked about it a year ago. I I don't I wouldn't say that I felt like Hillary was a lock to win the general in the way that I felt she was a lock to beat Bernie Sanders in the primary when I made that bet. Mm-hmm. I realized that it wasn't quite as much of a lock, but it felt like a pretty sure thing. Hmm. I, I, I learned about this from that podcast. That's so interesting to me that you actually did do this. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, the other thing is, though, that sometimes when people are talking about what's going to happen with this um, election or what's going to happen with whatever this thing is that feels really up in the air, could go either way, even if it's predicting who the next doctor is going to be. Right, who the BBC picks to be yeah. the next? It's very interesting to go, especially in England. There's a lot of betting markets for these things. It's sometimes at least interesting to compare what the betting markets say versus what the polls say, because the betting markets are. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons for the market to make that as close to what we really know is going to happen as possible. Do you know what I mean? Yep. And it's you'll see that really in the last, I guess, maybe it's always existed, but I feel like really in the run-up to the election, more and more you would hear people saying like, well, this is what they're saying over in this giving, given uh, betting market. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with that. And I think that those things are interesting. It was actually Paul Krugman who turned me on to these betting markets a while ago as being a very he accurate gauge. learned about gauge. it from uh, his cab driver, I believe. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. No, you're thinking of Friedman. Oh, sorry. Blew it. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Cut Friedman, that out. Friedman learns things from his cab drivers. In, in, and which one's Krugman? You know, uh, Krugman's the uh, bearded guy with the uh, economics degree. Oh. From, he's a, a Nobel Prize winning economist. Oh, Friedman economist. versus Krugman. Yeah, I always knew those were yeah. two different guys. I knew that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think that they are an accurate gauge of, of the odds of an election. The, thing that I, the other thing, mathematical thing I found frustrating with last year's election was the... Uh, in the aftermath, this sort of see Nate Silver is a fucking idiot reaction. That was also because silly. Nate, Nate Silver, I forget what he placed like on the eve of election day. I forget where he placed the odds, but let's just say for the sake of argument that he gave Hillary Clinton an 80% chance of winning, which I think was around where he Silver had, been, had He had it. been so criticized for not being yay, rah, rah Hillary enough in right. the run up. Right. Right, and that there were other people who were putting it way more like in the 90-some percentile that she would win. But let's say Nate Silver says 80% chance that she will win, very likely, and it turned out she didn't. Well, uh, and then there were some on the the Trump side who gleefully said, see, Silver's an idiot. He doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. These polls are all bullshit. (laughs) But if you say something has— You don't understand how probability works. Right. Don't, didn't you ever play a dice game? Yeah. I mean, it, there's it still is 10 very chances un- out of 100. There's still one chance out of 10 that it'll be this way. And that, that chance resets every single time. That's what makes it a probability. Right. Like if you play a dice game where uh, Snake Eyes is a loser, uh, it only happens once out of every 36 rolls, but uh, it happens. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. And so if you, yeah. if you say it's a one out of five chance of happening, that's actually terrifying. So like, in other words, if we like three years from now, if we're on the eve of, and Trump somehow manages to still be in office mm-hmm. and he's on the eve of his, uh, reelection thing. And Nate Silver tells me that there is a 98% chance that whoever's running against Trump is going to win. I am not going to sleep the night before. Cause I'm thinking one out of 50. Oh my God, yeah. that is <laughs> still too much. <laughs> it's way too much. <laughs> against cyber hillary <laughs> right like imagine if somebody told you you have a one in 50 chance of dying today oh 100 percent. like there's this is there's god there's so much scholarship research about this about how terrible human beings are at estimating things uh, based on, right. on things like this that like we we because like you know and also then there's the whole difference of like how likely is this to happen versus how confident are we in our bet do you know what i mean and we take it all to yeah. kind of be the same number which is like 90 percent shit that's almost 100 percent. that's totally gonna happen and you're like no no right. that's not really what that means at all right. it's absolutely terrifying so like don't that play 80%, me I'm going for cyber hillary right it was actually he was it was actually a feather in silver's cap in my opinion that he pegged trump's odds is it's still a long shot yeah. or an underdog maybe the long shot is is too strong a word but an underdog a strong underdog to win the election but had it as way more plausible than most other people and the way that he won with such a narrow margin of victory in pennsylvania wisconsin and uh what was the third on michigan i think um <laughs> actually like it's like yeah that actually seems like uh like the way that a, a, a an underdog could squeak through well, yeah, that, in, in the model, that's exactly what could happen, and it's what did happen. Right. I think they're like probably still counting votes in that. Remember that one little county in Michigan? Remember? <laughs> we still haven't. Wait, wait, wait. What? What? Hang on. Just a moment, please. We still have not heard back. There may be a box somewhere in southern Michigan that changes the entire evening. You're in the situation, <sighs> man. <sighs> what else do you want to talk about? You want to talk? Um, you you, you got here Apple oh, man, That's Pay. two hours and 20 minutes, dude. What are you doing? All right. I, that's good. We got a lot right. here. We got that's well, good. you know, I know you like the ones where I prepare, uh, yeah. so I added a few things. Oh, yeah. well, what about this? Yeah. What about this to wrap up? Yeah. What about this? Uh, you know, since it is our Thanksgiving holiday spectacular, what about just what we're thankful for right now? Hmm. Is that too corny? I should have thought about that. What am I really thankful for? You know, I'm thankful uh, that I'm not incredibly ill right now. I'm thankful that my family is so tolerant of me by and large. Um. I don't know. Uh, are, you, are you reading my list? <laughs> <laughs> it was the best Thanksgiving ever. <laughs> What's on yours? <laughs> I it opens what, with I, an apology. <laughs> I am. I am. It, it is. I, I don't know how much. I don't know how much worse or how much stronger the sentiment gets the older you get. But I, at the age of forty-four, I'm so incredibly thankful for my health, which is something that I, I've lived my, you know, my entire life I've avoided any kind of really serious health ailments. You know, my eye thing. Well, and you had your your hand thing and your eye thing. Those are, are, you know, that's just an injury. You know what I mean? Like, and and I fully recover, you know, the hand thing I fully recovered from, you know, uh, boy, that's, and it, but you see people, I, it's like, you know, I, you know, I live in a city uh, just like you and and it's like, you know, what do you do when you're walking around a city? Well, I listen to podcasts and I look at people and I like just watch interesting people. I'll tell you what, I walked by a restaurant yesterday, really nice restaurant. Um, at the in the base, it's actually in the base of the Comcast building. Oh, uh, nice! It's cable like town. A, yeah, right there, at Cable Town. It's a <laughs> place called Chops. I think I guess it's a steakhouse. I've never been there, but uh, it's you know it's after school. I'm walking a kid home from school, so it's like twenty after three 
so there, you know, there's nobody in there yet. I don't know when happy hour opens there, but I'm guessing, you know, after four or something. And there's a guy who's obviously a manager wearing a nice suit and he's at the bar and there's a bartender behind the bar and the bartender hands him some kind of like a placemat. And I'm like, I wonder what's going on there. I'm, I'm walking right by the window and the manager takes it and holds it right up to his face and takes a big sniff. And hmm. I realized that they're going through some sort of we have smelly placemats thing. Oh, interesting. Like I, I told myself an entire story about what's going on in there where <laughs> the manager had just gone around and was looking at the place before it opened up and then it had had read the bartender the riot act about not sufficiently, you know, hosing down these these placemats mm -hmm. you know and now he's testing one with hmm. <laughs> sniffing it and it just looked like such a weirdo and he clearly had no idea you know wasn't thinking about the fact that anybody walking by could see it but anyway that's what i do i look at people and you you know watch long enough and you see people with you know who obviously are struggling with their health and yeah. i think oh my god that's thank god i don't have to do that <sighs> for now or for I now right now for now yeah yeah I just... i'll tell you what i'm thankful yeah, go. for i'm thankful for um my parents are in good health. Uh, my dad is, uh, my dad's turning 80 in December. Uh, wow. Uh, my brother-in-law and I took him, uh, not last weekend, but the weekend before we actually took him, my dad, like me is a Dallas Cowboys fan. And we, uh, he's always wanted to see a, a Dallas Cowboys game at, at Dallas, never been there. So my brother-in-law took him to Dallas for a long weekend. Oh, that's nice. And, that's uh, really nice. But he's 80 years old. He, you know, he's in terrific health. You know, you'd never, I think if you saw him, you'd never ever, you'd, you, I don't know. I think you'd guess 70, maybe, honestly, maybe even younger. I mean, he plays golf almost every day when the weather permits and walks, walks the course. Uh, doesn't ride around in a cart like some you know, people, who, like some people. Uh, <laughs> he, doesn't get, and, you know, he doesn't get winded walking up a hill in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. The sniffing, golf John, cart. The, the sniffing is back. <laughs> Where's my golf cart? Um, no, but sniffing. you know, it, it, my dad's eighty years old and could go out That's and so cool. eat steak and drink beer with my brother-in-law and me, and and go to a Cowboys game, and and you know, my dad is very gregarious and outgoing, and so we, you know, we get to this football game. Uh, I think local time it was a three thirty kickoff in Dallas, and you know, we got there to the 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 tailgating area around two or something like that. Um, and my dad made like fifty friends in the. Oh, <laughs> in the I, I love lot somebody area. like that. That's, right. that's, a, that's like, a type you don't meet as much anymore. The garrulous guy. Like the get-along guy. The get-along guy. And uh, it was just had a great time. And I, I just think, like, you know, how many people out there, you know, uh, you know, I know, you know, firsthand, I know so many, you know, what, what a privilege it is that at 80, you know, me at 44 and my dad at 80 that we could still do something like that. Very thankful. I, I truly am. Did, they, uh, there's no, did the Cowboys win? No explanation. Cowboys win? They, the Cowboys did win. Nice. Cowboys did win. That <laughs> turned out all right. Yeah, it turned out all right. I'll tell you what was nice, too. I'll tell you, and I appreciate this as a Philadelphia fan. The other thing that was nice is they were playing the Kansas City Chiefs, and Kansas City is about 500 miles away from Dallas, and there were plenty of Kansas City fans there. I don't know if it was 20% of the people, but somewhere between 10 to 20% of the people there were, were in Kansas City stuff. And it everything in the parking lot and in the stadium and everything was all in good fun and good spirits. Well, that's and nice. There was, yeah. Oh, that is that and is it, that is so nice. I mean, that that would not happen in in Philadelphia. <laughs> don't you guys throw batteries at people? Isn't that kind of your jam? They used to. No, they used to throw batteries, but they don't. That that's that was a long time ago. Hmm. No, they no they, th they throw uh, coupons for Uber. <laughs> no, they've calmed things down. Yeah, that's. Nice. I think what they, I think what's happened is that the ticket prices have gone up so much that it's priced the. Oh, uh, you can afford to throw batteries. It'd be too costly. Yeah, you, yeah, and it's just sort of priced that crowd out of it. 
like the <laughs> the, the, sort of, <laughs> the battery people. <laughs> right, the sort of sociopathic hooligan crowd who thinks let's go to a let's go to an Eagles game. We can throw batteries at strangers. <laughs> I remember. I feel like there were some white knuckle moments for the Reds at certain times. <laughs> Pete, Pete, Pete Rose might be over on the hot corner and take a nine volt to the back of the neck. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, anything else? No. Mer- Merry, happy Thanksgiving time. Yeah. Likewise to you. And you know, maybe we'll come back in a year and uh, you know see where things are. Do you think? Do you think Trump is going to be in office in a year? You think when we do our, our Thanksgiving spectacular I don't next know. year? I, I you know I got this bet wrong before. All right. But let's see what predicted says. <laughs> Do you know, I, it's, it's, it's an overused quote, but it's so true, is that Hemingway line about how did you go bankrupt? And it was uh, slowly. Oh, it's so slowly at first. Right, right. Right. And then, and I feel like that's yes. how. Well, and you, that's know, you, how know this, you know he will quit as soon as it is really obvious to him. There's no way that he would like go down. Don't you think? I, I don't think. No, no he, I don't he think say, so. I got a TV show. I got a better deal. I won the deal. Yeah. Okay, so here's what we got. Um, and this is, this is just science. This is not politics. This is science. Um, will Trump be president at year end 2017? The current market is 95% yes, 5% no. I mean, for a variety of reasons, that makes a lot of sense with no change. It's not a very active, but it is the one that a lot of people have bet on. You know, 5%. That's actually crazy if you think 5%, about it. 5% is still right a percent. Now, That's still, you know. It, Middle, so we've got six weeks to go in the year that that you can get five percent odds that some something's right. going to happen. That's your dynamic. Next... You can buy and sell anytime you want. Now let's look at right. go down a little bit. Will Trump be president at year end two thousand eighteen? Uh, yes, at sixty eight cents. No, at thirty two cents. Hmm. I think I got to get back into this because yeah, I'm, I'm looking. There's some money to be made in here, my friend. Twenty twenty presidential winner. You can buy. You can buy no on Trump for sixty-five cents. Mm. Boy, that's I, I, uh, sixty-five cents to buy a no. Wow, mm. that seems like good. That seems like a good bet. I, I got to get back. <laughs> I, we got to end this show. I got to. I got to get. get over. Get to predict it. Thanks for having me on, buddy. <laughs> Merlin, I. It's always always a pleasure. Thank you.